Welcome back to Path to Glory, the Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. I'm your host, Amon Kusro, and I'm joined for the first time in the history of Path to Glory. All four members, current members, are on the podcast. So George, Zach, and Mark, as an order on my screen. Very happy that we got this done and before the new year. How's everyone doing? Doing great. Happy to be here. Yeah, I've didn't realize we've had so many internal conversations that I didn't realize this is the first time we've all recorded together. Well, yeah. happy New Year's, everybody. Glad to be here with the full squad in tow today. I feel the same. I just hope the podcast can contain the sheer awesomeness of our powers combined. Absolutely. And I want to thank everyone for making some time on their schedule on the day of New Year's Eve to get one final episode in before the new year. And what a way to end the year we got. A really cool update and errata for the game that's going to definitely shift how we look at the game moving forward, especially in the upcoming competitive season that begins with LVO. Speaking of LVO, I just want to go over our quick Path to World segment where we're going to be talking about all the events that you can attend in North America and in the world in order to qualify for the World Championships of Warhammer. Unfortunately, at this moment, there are only four events that are quote unquote confirmed. And they all happen to be in America. So we have the Las Vegas Open in just a couple weeks. We have the Grand Cherokee Open at the end of February, Adepticon end of March, and the Nova Open at the end of August. As more events appear and are shared, we will update this list to ensure all of our listeners and the greater community have a chance to qualify and attend the World Championships of Warhammer. Now, we also will be returning our Sleeve It or Leave It and Inspiration Strikes segments moving forward from this episode onwards or not this episode onwards, but the episode following this one well into the new year, just because we are on a bit of a time crunch as we record today's episode. Now, today's episode will be just hanging out. We're going to be answering questions from the community. We put out a end of year survey, and I was pleasantly surprised. We were pleasantly surprised with the number of responses. And so we whittled them down some questions that seem fun, seem interesting, and ask people individuals and group questions as well. So if your question was not asked, apologies in advance. We just didn't have enough time to answer all of the questions, but we tried to answer as many as we could. And if we move faster, then we'll go through a couple more. After these questions, we're going to share some of our gaming resolutions for 2024. Something my wife loves to do is ask me what my goals are for the year every day. But <laughs> we're going to be talking about our personal and gaming resolutions. So we'll start with our questions here. Before we begin, anybody have any comments? No, I think we're good to go. All righty. Well, first question goes out to the group. How do you find the best warband and deck combos for Nemesis? That's the first question. And then how do you find the best cards to take? How about we ask Mark the first part of the question. If anyone has anyone to, anything to add, please add on to it. And then whoever feels they can answer the second question, they can go ahead and do that as well. I mean, you always start out with the warband selection first. Like, I'm not just going to play whatever. I have to be kind of interested in the warband to start with. So usually I'll look at aesthetics first, just as like a quick, do I like the look of how these guys feel? So like, I don't like Cruel Boys, for example. So I might not play Dekunning Crew and Dagok, much to George's chagrin. But once I pick a warband that I like the look of, I look at their mechanics. Do I like the mechanics? Uh, and if those two things hit, it's time to start building, basically. So then you just look at what they're deficient in for Nemesis for the most part. Championship, you can usually 
fill in the gaps a little bit easier. But in Nemesis, you really need to consider, okay, this faction has weak upgrades, for example. So you need to choose a faction or a rival's deck to pair with them that's going to be able to compensate for that. For example's case, I love Kanan's Rapers. I pick Kanan's Rapers. They have fantastic upgrades. I don't need a rival's deck that has great upgrades, but they don't have a super strong faction objective deck. So I want to pair them in there with something that has a strong rival's objective deck and then mechanically something that's going to support what they do best. Again, in Nemesis, you can't patch all of your weaknesses necessarily, but you can augment your strengths. So in Kanan's case, they have great movement economy. Voidcurse Thralls comes in, gives you even more movement economy and makes it pretty devastating actually to to go up against with how much they can get across the board and such. So look at what the Warband does well and then just highlight that for the most part with your rival's deck composition is what I've typically gone for. So you pick a Warband first and then from there you look at their strengths and then you maximize their strengths, not necessarily focus on showing up their weaknesses too much. Yeah, I think it is nice to compensate for the weaknesses, but you're just realistically not going to be able to cover them all in Nemesis. So I think it's better to just turn up to 11 the thing that you do best and that gives you that niche in the meta that they are the one that does that thing the best potentially that's cool does anyone have a different way they like to select warbands and combinations for nemesis george my approach is pretty similar to mark's for me it does vary sometimes you do want to cover a weakness more than at least sometimes i want to cover a weakness more than just lean into a strength the the biggest factor for me is just evaluating I have a warband I like, and I pick them the same way Mark does. And then I need to pick a deck to build with this. And I can only pick one additional deck. So I'm going to pick a deck that has cards that aren't competing with the cards that do well in my warband's deck. And this is especially important when you have rivals' decks that may tax a certain number of slots because they need that kind of commitment to their theme. So in the case of Toxic Terrors, you need to bring at least four or five poison upgrades, probably, if you're taking their end phases. So you don't want to take a warband that's like, nope, I'd like to take eight of my upgrades because now you have to sacrifice power from your warband instead of augmenting and covering, you know, a place where you don't have good cards to put. Makes sense. Zach? Yeah, I think for me, it like I like aesthetics. I'll pick warbands I like more of. For me, it's also the mechanics. I really like finding things that play different. So I usually end up picking a weird warband that does something that most other warbands don't do. And then I'm like, all right, how do I literally make this work? Because sometimes it doesn't work in Nemesis or it doesn't work very easily. So like trying to find a good pairing that allows Exiled Dead to kind of do their their big move thing or allows Sirenai to sit around and do Hammer Tide, which is very unique. But then I kind of agree with everything else. You know, you you need to find something that pairs well. You need to find something that leans into it but i do think that depending on the faction sometimes you can lean into shoring up weaknesses i think one thing we've seen a lot of is pairing stuff with void curse thralls which comes with a lot of extra movement and that really takes some factions which are lacking that movement and just like oh like this this fixes that that'll fix that or like you know some things just lack like disruption it's just like well you could take toxic tears and now you've got some good disruption that can do something that your warband doesn't. So you can approach it differently. I mean, we have 55 different teams in the game right now, which is a lot. And every one of them, by necessity, is going to approach Nemesis building a little differently. So I think it really depends on what you want to play and how you want to play it. I think those are all excellent answers. And I will agree that a lot of aspects of selecting the best warband slash 
Brabble's deck combo generally are similar for me. And I've said this, actually, I was on the chat and crit when that podcast was still active. And they asked me like how I decided to take a look at what Warbands I wanted to play. And I remember answering that I look at fighter cards first. And I know that's weird, but I just love relying on good stats. So if I like what the fighters look like, then I'm like, all right, then I can probably make this work somehow, some way. And if you look at the history of the Warbands I've played and, and won with, Profiteers, Crimson Court, Mad Mob, Storm Coven, they all look great fighter stats, right? For their time period or for the era in which I was piloting them. So I just love stat blocks. I also know that too much stats can be a bad thing in over reliance. So I try to find a mix and medium of the two. But, you know, Mark likes Horde Warbands, and that might be his vibe. And that's his predisposition. I like elite stuff. And then, you know, Zach and George might be somewhere in the middle. And then finding the best cards to take, well, I think a lot of that can be helpful by just understanding what your warband does, maybe looking at some decks, at some great resources online, jump in conversations. But really, the best way is to just read the cards. Some of my favorite moments when I was very heavily invested in championship was I have everything in binders. And a lot of seasons will come with like a card with the season art on it. And so you slip it on the spine of the binder in that little pocket. And so I'm a nut. I organize it that way. And I blame Nick from Italy because he made fun of me of how I stored before. But that's a different story. But I would just open up a random page if I had a couple of minutes and just read all the cards, like nine cards in one deck page. And then my mind would try to wander. Most of the time, nothing really happened. But then it also more familiar with cards as well. So that would probably be our advice. Just find something that you are interested or you like or you think looks strong and try to build around it. Yeah, and another thing to think about when thinking about best cards, if you're talking competitively, because I think if you're playing for fun or you're playing just to like a personal best and you're not necessarily shooting for a tournament, you should bring the cards you think will be exciting to play. I mean, anyone who's familiar with Magic the Gathering terms knows uh, Timmy, Johnny, Spike. Be a Timmy and a Johnny whenever you want. But for Spike purposes, a lot of times for best cards, we look for consistency. And I think if you're trying to go for that you know, tournament win, that qualifier win, that world's win, you're not necessarily looking for cards that are extremely powerful in the niche. You're not looking for the cards that are like, oh, if I could set up this, 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 and this, then it just like auto wins me the game. There's not many Exodia things in, at least in Nemesis, but you're going to look at those cards and you're like, every single game I play, this card's going to be useful. And I think those are the ones that go into your deck first. And then once you start to have room, then you can start to think about the more situational or niche picks. Yeah, meta, counter meta, stuff like that. Excellent. Okay, next question. And I think we're kind of in the same vein here. How do you find decent slash surprise off meta picks that can still perform well? And we'll start with George. So those who know me know that this is kind of how I live trying to pick warbands. I despise playing mirror matches. So anytime I'm going to any event, I'm thinking, what can I play that no one else will probably be playing? But from a competitive perspective of going off meta, not just for its own sake, the important thing is to evaluate kind of the value and strength niche of what you've identified as the dominant players in the meta at the time. So, for example, Headcracker back around Adepticon, and everyone was just, no, Gnarl Spirit. Gnarl Spirit set the, the pace for everything. It was looking at, well, what does Headcracker do really well? They, they can deal with elite fighters because they have damage and they don't give up kills and they have primacy and they can kind of play with everything they can get these pings and that's enough for them to get kills because no spread pack has two three wound fighters or 
you know, more recently, I've really been pushing Headsman as kind of an off-meta pick. I think they're about to be a meta pick, which makes me sad because then I'll have to stop playing them. They have the damage to deal with the elites we see right now. They have the ability to sit back and then expose themselves for just one charge and then absolutely murder a Domitan or something. So those are very specific examples. But in general, you want to find the thing, the strong warbands that everyone plays are doing well and find what they don't do well and attack them in the place where they don't do well or what they don't like and find something that does that one thing really, really well. I think that's probably like the best answer is you're just like trying to find the niche that is exploitable. And it does occasionally require like a a pretty good metagame knowledge. So if you're not quite there and like knowing everything about the metagame, just like look at what people are bringing, look at the decks. And if you can identify, oh, this is why this deck works, you can usually think, well, what do I have that like isn't vulnerable against that or like is strong into that? And sometimes that's hard to find obviously, but I think a lot of times every, I think every single person on this podcast has brought one sort of meta buster thing to an event and we've all done pretty well with it. So yeah, it is a definitely a way to approach the game. I mean, you can lean into the meta. I don't think there's any shame in just being like, that's the strong thing. Ephilim is the strong thing. Headsman is the strong thing. And just like going to an event with that in mind. Yeah. There's no shame in trying new things. And it's all, I think it's more exciting to do so. Yeah. Good point. I mean, Mark winning Nova with Void Cursed Reapers was very off meta, right? At least at the time. And George bringing Plague Pack with VCT was also very off meta, and you did very well as well. And then, you know, you referenced the Mad Mob from Adepticon earlier this year. Yes, that was directly to counter GSP, but also the fact that they can kind of use primacy as an extra way to score glory that a lot of people can interact with was awesome. And even before that, with the Crimson Court, right? Like, Everyone was playing invading, hold midboard or hold objectives in enemy territory. Well, what if I just play four stat balls that have range four and kill everything, right? Two smash, two damage, three fury, two damage. So that's kind of how you got to do it. And obviously with the worlds, it was a little different. I just thought I played the thing that was clearly the strongest, right? That is a meta pick in itself, I suppose. Just to wrap up, I think it's important when you're picking an off meta thing, that you're not just kind of doing it for the sake of it. You need to make sure that they actually have a niche. So you could say like, oh, I'm going to play Garrick's Reavers because nobody's going to expect Garrick's Reavers at this event, right? But then when you get it on the table, you're like, oh, actually, I could have maybe prepared them with, say, Boykers Thralls, Breakneck Slaughter. And you're like, oh, maybe I could have paired them with Kanan instead, or I could have paired them with Skavik instead. Something that gave you a little bit better of a shot. So identify the niche that your warband has. And if you think that there's a warband that can do that better, that you wouldn't mind playing, there's not necessarily any shame, like Amon said, in playing the thing that's a little bit stronger just to give you the angle on the niche you're trying to exploit. Straight up. Okay, well, talking about niche things here, what would you say is a best way to play Molog's Mob with Void Curse in Championship? Yeah, I can handle this because I've been doing it a bit in Vassal League already. and the new Errata is actually quite exciting because it means I get to rebuild the whole deck. What I was doing until, you know, before this week was a domain package. So I would take Creaking Ceiling, Drifting Tides, Depth Charging, Zealot Imperative, and I would take Purified Waters, which is another way to heal two for Molog, and I would take Faceless Mask, which is a very cool card that I think is difficult because of how hard it is to fit domains in your deck. It's a really strong answer to the ping meta we were seeing. For those who don't know, 
it's an upgrade. It's a domain upgrade that says if a domain gambit has been played in this round, the upgraded fighter cannot be dealt damage by gambits, cannot be chosen by gambits until the end of the round. So if I get that onto Molog and I have enough domains to play just one in each round, and I will slow roll them if I have to, he's unpingable. And he's Void Curse, so you can't drive him back. He's going to move. Molog will go where he pleases. And bong. And at the time I was playing it, the weakness was fitting additional damage in. You know, Molog has high base damage, but people can get to five wounds. So that's what Creaking Ceiling was for, because he has knockback. So the whole thing was positioned to fight Domitan. And right now I still think it's a very strong pairing for him. We have Unrestricted Healing Potion now. But the domain package is kind of unnecessary with the restrictions we've seen for ping. So I don't know if I need to be sinking so much of the deck into like instinctive shield and a bunch of domains and extra ways to heal Molog. It's probably still good, but I think domains and faceless mask are are not needed anymore. And I haven't actually had a chance to brew with what I'd fill that void with yet. Yeah, it's an interesting different take on how void curses been played, especially in like Nemesis, for example. But even in Championship, a lot of times you see the Void Cursed pairings end up being very convoluted. Hey, I move this guy here, that guy there, this guy back. But in this case, you're just repositioning the one fighter to bonk as much as possible. And the no drive back can't be understated either. Basically, anybody with range one or two that comes up to try and hit Molog, you're going to be able to swing back immediately because they can't drive you back off the off the push. So obviously, range three is quite popular. But if say like Sarpon, for example, you'd rather him shooting you with his spell than coming up and dealing you three damage in close range. So you, at least you can punish that if he does do so. And then, like George said, it's easy enough to access the four damage with extra things like Creaking Ceiling or just Inspiring Molog in the first place, which actually one Sarpon hit would do. So I think if you look back towards, was it Nova 2022, Gerard brought Molog. It was still championship at the time, I believe. That was 2022, right? <laughs> uh, it was. Yeah, I was there. And he had Master Duelist or whatever the primacy card was where you could discard the primacy as an action and get plus two dice to bonk. So he was just kind of sitting there close to the midboard, but he wasn't really going forward as much. And he was just bonking as people came to him. Because even with all the casting ping and things like that, they still have to get within range of you. So with Void Curse, that's now within move action range off of Revash and Reactions, Force Movements, Commanding Stride, whatever it is to get you repositioned to where you can bonk back. So you're not going to necessarily like charge Molog in first activation type of thing. There's no shame in like drawing a power card and then waiting for them to come to you a little bit uh, and just hit them when they step up. But you basically play whack-a-mole with Molog in the middle. It's something that's actually since Void Cursed came out been very possible and like subsequent releases have made it stronger and stronger, I think. And even now the masks, I think the you could just ignore most of the mask up stuff and take the Frostbitten Veil and just say, okay, my first activation this round, I'm going to take the rerolls for the whole round, and now Molog's sitting there in the midboard, even before you've got A-plus dice on him, he's two hammers with full rerolls, which is pretty good odds to smash most of what's going to step up. I would just note that you can't combo the mask with Void Cursed. You'll have to do something else, because Molog can't make the mask action if you curse him. But as, as Mark says, that's a very powerful option for Molog to be taking. Awesome. Well, let's move on to our next question here. How do you reconcile the success of Rivals Nemesis formats with the waning days for Championship? Wow. Heavy. Does Nemesis hold enough tactical depth for you? Let's start with Zach. I definitely do think it does. I mean, I've been a proponent of Nemesis since the beginning. I love deck building and I love Championship. I would love to see Championship make a resurgence. I'm happy to see people playing it. Obviously, I'm 
deferring to Nemesis because that's what all the events are in right now. But I think the accessibility kind of offsets the deck building for me. For me, I think playing on board is more important than deck building. As much as I love deck building, I love playing Underworlds more. And while I spend less time now out of game tinkering with decks and swapping a card here or there, and I, you know, usually when I settle on a deck, I don't make that many changes to it from a Nemesis perspective. I still enjoy the game immensely when playing. And in fact, I think Nemesis allows you to do a lot more thematic decks because in championship, you might not lean in as much into all the poison stuff in Toxic Terror. You might not lean into all the ice counter stuff in Force of Frost. And so Nemesis kind of forces you into these thematic, you know, internally cohesive decks, which I think is cool. Now, are the decks as streamlined as championship? That's a complete other conversation. But in my mind, I think it's still just as fun to roll dice. And I think it's still just as tactical to play because you do still have to make these decisions and you're making it with different amounts of information and different amounts of power than you do in championship. So for me, it's never been an issue. I do understand why some people are more passionate about it than others, but I would just encourage people to be like, you know, don't focus so much on what you've lost, focus on what you've kept. And what we've kept is an extremely fun game to play an extremely fun one to compete in. I echo a lot of those thoughts. I think for myself, championship was like the de facto way to play the game for such a long time. And when you're playing that format for the first three and a half to four years of the game, it kind of becomes the ingrained way to play the game. And when Nemesis was first announced, I completely understood the reason as to why Nemesis and Rivals, and there was another format as well called Vanguard that had a brief stint as well. And I completely understood the reason for those formats was to create a game that was more accessible at a lower floor. It allowed people to focus on not necessarily having to buy everything and playing with a selected number of items, you know, reduce the barrier to entry, and then slowly build your way up and graduate to higher levels of play. And I say higher level in quotations. I've actually come to fall in love with Nemesis since its inception, since it became the adopted way to play the game last year. And it's been for a couple of reasons. I think number one, all championship decks after a while start to look the same. And so it takes away some of the diversity that the game is actually known for in the way that the Warbands and the Rivals decks actually function. If you look at the very beginning of the game, you saw much more uh, homogenous decks where like almost every single deck was the top 18 cards and then throw in your best faction cards and call it a day. Now it's a little bit different. There are clear pairings that work better than others. But I feel like while the deck building element has been reduced a tad, and I'm still going to think that there are still great conversations and debates that can be had on inclusion or exclusion of a couple cards in the deck, regardless of the pairing, I think what makes it more interesting is the game feels just tighter, cleaner, more inclusive in terms of the amount of people that are showing up to attend events, but also I still think it's the same amount of tactical depth, right? Like the matchup between a tooth and claw aggressive deck versus a very passive deck, maybe using, you know, seismic shock or fortress can be very fascinating because how many wounds does this fighter have? If I'm playing a ping deck, you know, drum is a problem. How do I go around this matchup? You still have to cover your bases, play to your strengths and mitigate your weaknesses. The game is the same fundamentally. I just think for some reason it just feels not more relaxing, but just it flows better. And I think that's why I've really come to appreciate it. And then also because 
We're here to compete and prove ourselves to be the best players that we can be. The fact that Nemesis is now the de facto way to play, there's a little bit of like, well, we don't have a choice. So either like it or don't play it. And so I think we've also found ways to like something that maybe initially we were a little slow to appreciate. Yeah, I think speaking from the lens of kind of a heavy championship player myself, I do still prefer to play championship personally. I do think it's uh, disingenuine to say that Nemesis lacks the feel of Warhammer Underworlds. I think it feels very much like Warhammer Underworlds. You're on the table, you're still making those same kind of tactical decisions to optimize the situation that you find yourself in. Where I think it just comes a little short of championship for me is the strategical element of like building a deck is yes, in championship, you're probably going to take like great strength or glory seeker, et cetera, in your deck. But the fact that you're lacking certain options to compensate for your warband's weaknesses, to me, seems to increase the variance in what I've played a lot of Nemesis. So like a lot of Nemesis games I've walked away from, and sometimes two very good players going at it, both of you really don't make any notable mistakes in the game, but the game turns on a couple of 50-50s here and there. Do you hit that very first activation, two hammer, two damage attack? into my one shield guy, or do you miss? And the game can turn quite heavily on that point. In championship, I do still feel like you have more opportunities to compensate for those types of moments, and maybe those moments have less impact over the course of the game, especially because, again, from the strategical element, in your deck build, you can compensate for your warband's weaknesses a little more, so like maybe you don't have to take Bane of Evil on Hexbane, and oh no, Hexbane got blown up in the first activation, now I have a somewhat dead card, you can take things that would be more generally adaptable for whatever situation you find yourself in. So that's why I still personally prefer Championship. And I do like Nemesis. Like I said, I've enjoyed playing it. I like that it's getting people back into the game and increasing the numbers, etc. I think that's undeniable. It's easier to entry to get into the game. But I do think Championship does still have something to offer. And that's why I'm happy to see that they're still updating the document and had a very good update, I would say, this most recent go around with the increase uh, or the edits to the FAR and the fixing of finally of the board rotation for Championship. I think hopefully we can see both continue to grow. And if Nemesis players want to hop over the line of Championship, maybe they don't know how to get in, feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to introduce people to that side of the game. But in the meantime, go to your local Nemesis events, go to the big tournaments that are running Nemesis, and just try to get as good as you can at that format. Maybe one day Championship will return, maybe it won't. Uh, but at least for now, it seems like nobody's going to stop you from playing it, which I'm, I'm happy to see. I want to echo all of that. Those are great points. And I, I am myself a champ enthusiast, but that doesn't mean I hate Nemesis. I play a lot of Nemesis. I love the game. And it's the way, you know, it's the only option we have to really play competitively right now. So there it is. I, I agree with Mark. It does feel lacking to me. And just to, to quickly sum up, you know, we just had a couple questions about going off meta and finding your niche. And I think there's a lot more room to do that in championship than in Nemesis. I think there's a lot more room to take, you know, unexpected synergies and make them work. And I don't mean just janky memes. For, for me, when I make a Nemesis deck, it's kind of like this is the optimal pairing and that's it because and that's boring to me like because now i know what the best cards are and there's not a lot of room to pick something else and i know that's a, a personal preference you know champ is cool nem is cool i do contend on one point just that the accessibility increase that we've had that's driven nemesis similarly has increased championship accessibility 
I think a lot of stuff they've done for NEM is stuff we were asking for for Champ. Like, we don't have to buy warbands we don't want to get universal cards anymore. And as much as I was against the plot card change, that does also reduce the total number of things you have to buy to play championship. Yeah, I think it can't be understated how nice it is that both formats are being supported. Nemesis is having events. Nemesis is getting... Erratas are for both formats, but they definitely help Nemesis a lot. And we're still getting the Fire for Championship. I also want to make it clear that I don't dislike Championship, and I'm happy both are thriving. So I think it's great that anyone can play what they want, and more people playing Underworlds, the better. So whether you like Championship or Nemesis, hope you get to play more in 2024 and hope bring some more people into the fold. Absolutely. Absolutely. And hearing you guys talk about Championship a little bit makes me miss it, but also... I like to play games to go compete, and unfortunately or fortunately, there's only one format that allows me to do that this time. If that ever opens back up again, and we have a little bit more options from a competitive level, very happy to dig my toes, if not dive headfirst back into championship. But for now, that is where we will end that question. We're moving on to a George and Mark question. What's the best Nemesis deck to pair with Thorns of the Briar Queen? First question. So I've played... A good bit of Thorns, not so much in Nemesis, just because their faction deck is poor, frankly. It's going to be very difficult, especially on the objectives end, to make something work with them. Uh, I do think you're kind of, in Nemesis, forced to lean into the casting ability of the Briar Queen. So Seismic Shock and Force of Frost make a good amount of sense in those pairings. Uh, Force of Frost, I think, has the potential to be the best pairing for them in Nemesis. I haven't, I can't say tried it myself, but I think having the potential backup caster makes it feel not so bad when you have to pack in the higher value gambit spells. And even with the nerf to Avalanche, you could still potentially do something like sudden appearance the queen into enemy lines, drop the Avalanche, uh, and then potentially even use her upgrade to charge back into your own territory later. And Stranglehold is really good for them. Stranglehold, I think I've soured on a little bit since it came out for a lot of warbands, just because it's been difficult to set up in some cases. But being able to just Varclamp push onto all of the objectives in the midboard, maybe even drop a time freeze to sit on the objectives you want is really good. Uh, and then also with time freeze, you can use Varclamp push to push people into supporting positions. And because they've now FAQ'd that there's reaction inspire surge steps, you still get that guaranteed inspiration without having to risk the opponent smacking you back in the middle of your two activations since you're taking two in a row. So push up a few chain rasps, get them inspired, and then maybe whack with, say, the Briar Queen if you did time freeze on Varclav and Briar Queen. So I think there's an angle there. I do still think it's not going to be like A-tier competitive, but if you're looking for the best bet, that's where I would probably start right now. I agree with all of that. I think that there's... An interesting dynamic picking between Force of Frost and Seismic, just because the Seismic end phases are kind of uniquely suited. I think they're the only warband I would take Supremacy plus a Wizard end phase in. The Queen is great at getting on objectives. The Queen is great at running away when people are trying to hit her. Howling Vortex is the meanest spell ever printed. But Force of Frost does have you know slightly better surges and a substantially stronger upgrade package. The only other deck I would really offer for consideration, and I have not done more than Theory Brew this actually this morning, is Masks. Because while the normal issue of, oh, I have no glory to put my Masks on exists, the alternate condition for the two holding surges in the Mask deck are conditions that the Thorns are very well suited to satisfy. 
which are namely hold two tokens that are not in your territory or hold three tokens, at least one of which is not in your territory. That doesn't quite give them the same payoff you would get for doing it in seismic, so that is a concern, but it does mean you're not beholden on spells and you have a few really cool things you can do, including, say, Maskborn for Varclave to push all your chain rasps even after he's taken out. And, you know, it's an option. It's something I'll brew with. I don't think it will be appreciably better than Seismic or Force of Frost, but I don't think it'll be substantially worse either. Great answer. I do think Force of Frost is just so much fun, especially with any old yesteryear warbands, if you will, with wizards who are like, I don't know what to do. Double down on the spells, baby. Alrighty, next question. And these, this was asked by Jim Crimmins of the Tri-State Underworlds gang. Question for the whole crew. What's the warband you really want to see in 2024? Zach? Like new warband or existing one you want to see pop up? Let's go with new. Oh, new. Ooh, you know me. I love my horde warbands, so... But we've already got so many good ones. I love Lumineth aesthetically. I hope we get more Lumineth with silly animal helm things. You know, we've got Bahanar with his big old cow helm. We didn't get any of the the new kangaroo riders. Like the 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 mounts would be a little hard to fit in Underworlds, but like I just love how that whole faction is full of wacky, crazy elf animal hybrid aesthetics. And if we could get a new Lumineth team with just like really good sculpts and a new interesting playstyle like Purifiers had at the time, I'd be so for that. I like that. George? Oh, where to, where to choose? Can can I have more new Cruel Boys that, you know, are maybe a little better come with a Swamp Kala Shaman? Can I have any kind of more Nurgle? Can I have more Skaven? Better Skaven? Skaven me? Skaven now? I don't know. It's, it's a hard choice. Let, let's go with, I would love to see a new Slaves to Darkness band, like a Kagra 2.0. I am, I absolutely adore the Kagra aesthetics. I think they call back some classic sculpts. And I, I've always been just disappointed that they didn't quite hit the kind of design level that we saw with the rest of Direchasm, with Crimson Court, Kanan, Elethane, like really, really fantastic warbands. So let, let's go with that. New Slaves to Darkness would make me very happy. I like that. I like how you listed three things and then your choice between the three was something completely different. Mark, what is your warband that you'd like to see in 2024? So I know we've had a couple of Skaven warbands somewhat close together recently but i am a big skaven enjoyer of course i started out playing the game with spike claw swarm so i would love to see some skyer i think they could be really fun in underworlds now i know i as a competitive player am not a huge fan of a lot of variants but if there were ever an opportunity to create like variants the warband you know gambits that do one damage base or if you roll a crit it does two damage and one damage to yourself or if you roll a double support, it does two damage to yourself and nobody else. Like that kind of thing could be super wacky and they could get really creative with it, I think. In Underworlds, just a bunch of guys running around with high output, low floor type of options, I think would be really fun. Yeah, definitely. As long as the floor is enough that the card is is playable, that that would be a lot of fun. A lot of friendly fire and some objectives for blowing up your own guys. Yes. Yeah, I think that would be pretty awesome. I agree. For myself, there's two options. Number one, I started Warhammer Fantasy with playing Dark Elves and going into AOS. I've always waited patiently for Malirion, formerly known as Malekith, and his race of Shadow Elves to populate. And they haven't yet, and it's been very disappointing to me. 
And so I would really hope to see what the internet has dubbed the Umbraneth. I would love to see some sort of actual, like the dark version of Lumineth, the shadowy version of Lumineth, not this Kane stuff that Marathi's doing. Assassins and witch elves are cool, but that's not my vibe, man. I want my dark elves in their heavy plate armor doing some heavy plate things with their repeater hand you know, crossbows, shadowy spells, Occam's razor spell. Remember the one where it's like your leadership becomes your damage in fantasy? Oh, that was amazing. It was a great time because elves have high leadership. So I was hitting for like strength eight, strength nine attacks. It was fun. Outside of that, I think I'm a really big fan of the Scions of the Flame Warcry Warband. Anything that's like slightly Japanese aesthetic, weapons on fire, chaos humans i love and i really want that warband to be in the game because i think it would help bridge the gap between games and get people from both games to buy minis and play both games of course but then also like dude they're so sick yeah they're i so mean sick. while you're mentioning warcry can, can we have cards and rules for every single chaos warband from warcry all the bespoke ones some of the most gorgeous sculpt what are the ones from heish the realm of light guys that the They've got like robes and they teleport and stuff. Those ones are so cool. The the Jade Obelisk? No, it was one of the very first warbands that came out. Oh, the um, ones that secretly worship Zinch. Yeah, the they're, they're like not Zinch, but they are Zinch. Yeah. yeah. Dude, the whole first run of Warcry, I bought every single, I've got every single one up on my shelf. I've only painted like half of them. I would love to see those come to the game, man. That'd be great. Okay, next question. This is another fun one. There are four people that are part of Path to Glory. There are four Chaos Gods. Which Chaos God is each of you, and why? You have to pick someone else on the cast and, and tell them what God they are, to summarize the longer length of this question. So, I will start with... Actually, I'm going to start. And I'm going to say, George is Zinch. Because he's always planning, he's always influencing others, he's always meddling, he's always hoarding information and sharing it, and... I think he can see the future because he always helps me with my practice prep quite a bit. So, George is Zinch. Now, George, who do you think is one of the other three? Oh, that's that's tough because I wouldn't have given myself Zinch. I mean, I see it. Don't get me wrong. I just... Uh, let's go ahead and give Mark Nurgle and not for the reasons you think. He's he's very pleasant. He smells fine. You know, smells great. Um, no, it's more I want to say that, that Nurgle is always kind of very stoic and happy. You know, he, he doesn't freak out a lot. He, he's very steady. He's very implacable and just he makes a resolution and he gets to it. And, and that is Mark. Mark practices and he just gets it done. Mark plays. He, you don't see him, you know, explode or tilt. We had a great episode talking about dealing with tilt. And, and Mark embodies that kind of I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm going to keep going to my goal. And, you know, it might take longer than I want, but nothing's getting in my way for, for too long implacable dogged i like it like well i had as soon as you mentioned this question i had already pinned uh, aman as corn because he's just going to like wipe you out of his way like you come up against aman especially in a tournament setting he is there to destroy you and he's going to take great pride in doing so not because of your failure but because of the glory that he is obtaining as he claims your skull so i feel like aman has to be corn I love that. Red's my favorite color. And yeah, skulls for the skull throne, baby. I mean, Korn is not just blood and violence. He's also he's also like honorable combat and stuff. So that that is definitely what I would pin Amon with. Oh, thank you. 
Zach, I guess you have to dub yourself Slanesh. Huh? I, I gotta, I gotta be Slanesh, and you know, I, I see it. I'm, uh, I'm a pursuer of perfection. I am so down on myself when I know I haven't played perfectly, or like look at my deck and find ways to just be like, how could I make this even more sparkling, and you know, hammer out all the imperfections. So I'm also the type of person to give false gifts to people. There you go. I, I'll do that for myself. Well, there you have it, folks. You have the chaotic pantheon of Path to Glory. Very exciting. It's so much fun when we have all four people on the cast because we get questions like these. It is, yeah. All right. This is by Fish Mode, who is Avin a good time. If you could be pen pals with any Underworlds character, who would you choose? What would your first letter to them be like? We'll start with you, Zach, since you have to end the last question. Oh, there's so many Underworlds characters right now. I don't know. I would, I would pick Ephilim because I think... I think that could teach me some magic, first of all, but also like, I feel like that would just be the most insane correspondence humanly possible or inhumanly possible since they are a, uh, a gaunt summoner aspirant that you would just get like the weirdest stories and like, you know, hearing about their travels through like crazy planes of non-existence and the demons that they've collected. It would be a little bit like reading somebody's Pokemon battle report because they would just write and be like, Today, I caught a new demon that looks like this, and it, you know, metamorphosized and changed into this, and it would, you know, have like all these weird pictures and drawings and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, I think Ephilim would be in my, in my Rolodex. I like that. What about you, Jord? Oh, that's, that's tough. You know, I think some of my favorites probably don't know how to read. And, um, obviously, I, I think trying to be pen pals with Morgway is, is just a, a recipe for disaster. So, I'm going to go ahead and say, uh, and it's not actually got a model, but I would love to be pen pals with Abasoth. I think Abasoth would have some really interesting stuff to say, and I could also learn some messed up magic. I've always wondered, like, the whole, there's Mazig, there's Abasoth, there's Yara, and there's one more person. That- Quintok. Quintok. And I've always tried to figure out, like, which chaotic, or which grand alliance each of them falls to. So I feel like Abasoth is probably... Chaos, Yara is order, and then Mazig is destruction. Mazig's probably maybe? destruction, yeah, because it's all like malediction and stuff like that. And then who does that leave? Quinta? Yeah, I don't know. None of them are really death themed. Mine would be Quiet Pock because this is Pen Pals, so he doesn't have to speak. And for a guy who just doesn't speak all day, he's got to have stuff to say. Like, he's very mysterious in the first place. Nobody knows exactly how he got his scars and all this stuff. So you could get like all of that out of him. And then I feel like he's a dog owner. So he's probably like a very gentle soul who just obviously wants to go and burn witches at the stake, but also probably has a lot of depth to him that is unexplored in the underworld space. So I think it would be fun to be pen pals with Pac. I feel like Pac would have really good handwriting too, for some reason. Yeah, like perfect calligraphy. Yeah, that'd be good. Just out of nowhere. <laughs> Amon, that leaves you. Who, who would you go for? I think I'd pick Dagok. He seems like he's quite a profound orc. Some of his card art shows him like sitting on cliffs or looking into the air and thinking about his next move. And he's quite cunning. So I'd love to understand the inner workings of an aspiring orc who is more cunning than brutal because it, the assumption is that they think a little bit more. And I think I would really enjoy reading his orcish notes in their orcish accent, but also like what motivates an orc aside from, you know, big fights and I guess killing people. So I think it would be really fascinating to understand their society and their culture. And also like if I'm responding back to them, I can give them cunning ideas, you know? 
and we can see how cunning we really are. Do you think orcs write in the accent too, or do you think it's just like <laughs> regular English? That's just how they speak. That I would love to find out. That's why I want to be pen pals, you know, like how incredible would it be if they just had perfect grammar when they wrote? Frankly, I'm not sure they know how to read and write at all. The smart ones do. I think Dagok and Manok do. This guy thinks he can cut off somebody's head and steal their intelligence. He might not. uh, You know, we we have art of them like sketching drawings in the dirt. We we don't have like art of them reading something. So I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, w- I went with the assumption that everyone could read or write, which is actually a bold assumption given some of the characters that we discuss. So <laughs> if that answer isn't good enough, Fish Mode, you let me know. And I will answer with someone who may actually read or write. I'm on sending rip tooth on the side. You're just going to get drool. Maybe he sends you like a skull package, you know? He's a good boy. Okay, moving away from some of the more fantastical elements. This next question says, curious about behind the scenes. Who does what and how does content get planned and posted? That's a good question. I think I would answer this from the lens of someone who is maybe aspiring to get on a podcast or has maybe just started a podcast. I would say that wrangling a group of people is difficult in general. We all have different schedules. We have different time zones in our case. We have different working hours. We have variable levels of availability given the fact that some of us have kids and some of us don't. I think planning stuff is very essential, but it doesn't have to make or break the way that you move about things. One thing that we like to do is we focus on something that gets us excited, something excited, and one of us will generally lead the charge and push corresponding individuals to create set content. So for example, Zach was super hyped about Dagok Stab Lads. He was like, hey, I want to be on this episode if possible. Fortunately, I don't think it worked out that way, but the fact that he was trying to help drive that conversation is really super helpful. We work more like like an oligarchy, I would say, is that we kind of just try to make decisions amongst one another. Obviously, I think there's a little bit of deference to me just because I was here from the rip, but I'm very happy with Mark and George or Zach and George or anyone kind of writing whatever they want and recording whenever they want because content is content. And as long as it's interesting and fun, that's kind of how we go about it. In terms of content being posted, it really depends. I think we're a little bit more ad hoc, but we try to... It really honestly just depends on how quickly it takes me to edit stuff, which I've been trying to remove some of that editing burden through some tools and and through sharing that burden with members here. But really, I think we can record an episode and get it posted and edited within 48 hours, sometimes even faster than that. And sometimes, depending on work schedules, it can take us a week or two to edit just an hour and a half worth of content, right? But I think Mark has a little bit of a tighter ship when it comes to the writing stuff. So if you want to share some of that... But generally, we focus more on organization as of late and started to try to find times that are non-negotiable when we record. If you can make it, you can make it. If you can't, you can't. And that's the benefit of having multiple people. Content can still be created with just two of us. And we've been a lot more organized in terms of planning out the topics. So for example, we already have everything we want to talk about for January and February of next year. Yeah. And from the writing side, it's actually not so different from the podcasting side and that you need something you're excited to write about. Obviously, when a new product comes out, we'll write up the review uh, and do the episode on it as well. But when it comes to like the passion project things that I'll put out, like I'll be like, okay, I'm really workshopping Sons of Velmore or whoever it is that I've previously written about. Just getting to the point where like, I think I may have found something that people are overlooking or I feel like I can provide a new lens on a problem that's out in the community that's when I'll kind of hit the activation energy to write an article that's not just a product review 
So certainly that ebbs and flows with my personal availability, but like George, for example, has hopped on and written about his fashion projects and certainly Zach and Amon are welcome to if they feel the need to share something that they've discovered with the Underworld's community. But I think that's kind of the same barrier almost to entry of, okay, I found something interesting and I want to talk about it. Do I talk about it in written content or podcast content? Depends maybe on, do I want to show examples? Uh, like, do I want to show pictures of board setups and fighter placement and things like that? Or am I okay just kind of speaking to the things that I'm looking at? And oftentimes for me, that filters down to writing because I feel I'm often a better writer than I am a speaker. But for others, it may vary. So if you personally are thinking about making your own content, I think that's the first thing to figure out is what is your preferred medium? Do you feel like you're a great speaker and can really convey that over podcast better? Or do you have a lot of writing experience and feel like, okay, this is going to be the best way to get my point across? Well said. Let's move on to our next question here. If you could make one of your teammates play one warband and only one warband for a whole year, which warband would it be and why? These are spicy and devious. Oh, I, I, I would make Mark play Cunning Crew and he would become the most terrifying Cunning Crew player. And I feel like that would make me better at Cunning Crew to see the level he would get them to because we saw what he can do with Kanan. And I think that Cunning Crew, just because that reaction is reusable, have even more of a like hidden skill ceiling that I don't think I've reached, you know, and I would love to see Mark reach it and then teach me. Yeah, at, at DKK in particular, I, when they came out, I was like, oh, wow, this is really interesting mechanically, but I just couldn't get over the aesthetic hump on D DKK. I just don't like, <laughs> don't like the cruel boy aesthetic. But forced to play them, hopefully I would enjoy. I think the mechanics are really interesting. If I had to make Amon play a warband, I would definitely make Amon pick up any horde warband. Just something where instead of relying on those beefy stats that he likes to use, I think the first project would probably be Scabic, just because Scabic came out and George and I were, of course, very excited and love Skaven and want to share our Skavenness with Amon. But I think they've not necessarily tipped the scales yet. And I think Amon's strength as a player might just be the thing to get them there, even though it's not his preferred play style. And I'd like to see how you perform outside of your comfort zone. That's fair. That's cruel, but that's fair. I will also like to point out that Zach is also a Skaven enthusiast, and so was Jonathan. So I don't know what it is. Rats, rats, I attract rats, rats. all the Skaven. Folk. You got to get on on board here. The You're the greatest. You right now. <laughs> Mark, if I had to make you play a warband, I would force you to play an elite warband for a year in the same vein. And if that's because I think you can do some really crazy stuff, of course, but also I just think it would be funny. <laughs> you know, like, sorry, man, you get three fighters. You can't really do much else with them. Maybe lean into the dice a bit more. <laughs> Pardon? Be careful what you wish for. You might oh. get it. <laughs> That's all I'll say I like for 2024. I love it. Zach? If I had to pick one for George, I think I'd have you play Farce Riders. The new Farce Riders, I think, are super interesting. And I'm like, I don't know if, like, in, in my mind, George is a very, uh, he's a very clever player. He comes up with new things. He knows different pathways to play the game. And I think you could break Farstriders. I'm like, somebody can break him. I don't know if it's me, but I think if I hand him to George for a year, people will be like, man, they need a nerf Farstriders. Like that team is uh, needs a little tap because you probably dominate with them by the end of 2024. Well, I, I mean, I have some news. I've been working on that 
on the side for for a while. Um, He's been doing that for a while, yeah. <laughs> Zach, if we had to give you a warband, I'd give you Griselle's Aranai because you specifically mentioned the other day that you hate leaning into dice. And I want you to embrace the rainbow. And they got some really good updates. They do. So you can maybe break next slaughter your way. I, I was joking with somebody. I'm like, I'm going to LVO, but I am not gambling. They were like, are you going to bring Aaron? I'm like, heck no. I'm not doing that much gambling while I'm in Vegas. Yeah, so, it's a casino warband for sure. But yeah, we, we weren't asked this question, but clearly if we were Eldari gods, Amon would be Kegarok. Kagarok. Oh, is he the laughing god? No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is he the Harlequin god in 40k? I'm down with that. Is is there no equivalent for Harlequins in fantasy? I guess not. No, there isn't. Uh, Fascinating. Okay. Well, that was fun. And a lot of compliments there. I think obviously we all respect one of those players. And I do think that Mark can be very scary with Elite Warband, but it has to fit the aesthetic, right? Do you have like an Elite Warband aesthetic you like? Yeah, so I played quite a bit of Wormspat. A little oh, while that's right, back, Nurgle. Uh, which was fun. But I also, now I guess I'll spoil it. I'm planning to pick up Thricefold for most of this coming year. Yeah. Nobody's quite broken them open yet. And I love love the models that came out with, with that warband. Yeah. So I'm very excited to start playing them. I love the idea of the false gifts. And some of the temptations are quite powerful as well. So I'm excited to start workshopping them in the new year. Absolutely. Okay, next question. Outside of Warhammer Underworlds, what games are you most interested in? I think that one for me is very easy. Star Wars Shatterpoint. Oh, George, you're wearing a Star Wars shirt. I think I've slowly converted everyone here to play Shatterpoint. Yeah, I I have bought too much Shatterpoint. I've got a lot of it now. But I'm also like, I'm still into Kill Team. I haven't done as much competitive Kill Team recently as I did at the start of the year. And I'm in a Blood Bowl League. So I'm like, you know, I, I just jump around between games. It's all pretty good. George just flashed some new product that he got for Shatterpoint. Yeah, I, I love Shatterpoint. Who doesn't now <laughs> on this podcast? But I'm getting into Blood Bowl for uh, the new year. I got some for Christmas, and I'm excited to try that. And I have a couple friends. We're going to do a little bit of Kill Team. But Underworlds is still uh, up there for me. Yeah, I mean, similarly, Shatterpoint has taken my attention as well. I have to limit the amount of plastic expansion I make in my basement. So I think it's going to stick to Shatterpoint and Underworlds for now. Of course, with Underworlds continuing to be the main game. But actually, I am personally, I lean more heavily on the video game side more often. So I know yeah. the question was probably thinking about tabletop gaming, but also I, I like to play a lot of like solo RPG type of stuff. Elden Ring came out that was a year and a half ago or so. Uh, and from software is my favorite developer. So every time they release a game, you can bet I'm picking it up. I'm on my second playthrough of BG3. And I love the Mass Effects. I love the Dragon's Age, the Skyrim. So definitely on your vibe there. I've been also doing a lot of D&D lately. It's actually a really funny story. So I was in a fraternity in college. And so a lot of the guys, and think of your stereotypical fraternity, right? Like a lot of the guys, I never told anyone that I was a war gamer. I was a closet war gamer. You know, now people know and they don't care. But I think in college, people are a lot more judgy. We all got together one day and someone was like, we should play D&D. And everyone's like, bro, you're crazy, man. Like the most nerdy thing these guys have done is play Call of Duty. Right. That gives you an idea of what they're into. And so I was like, no, I guess I guess we should try it, guys. You know, and Sam, a good friend of mine who's also in my fraternity, is also a closet gamer. So we were like very excited to try this. And I had never actually D&D'd before. We actually did the Warhammer RPG D&D for like four months and I was the, we had a dungeon master and then he bailed because there was too many of us because we were trying to be inclusive. 
So then I ended up DMing with no DM experience for like four or five months. And it was fun because you just rely on your lore of Warhammer Fantasy. But then eventually, like when people started getting really into it, and you dude, you have these like bros that you don't think would game, right? And they're just really into it. Like, hell yeah, bro. Like I love, I love my character. And they're just like, I want to be a wood elf. And it's really funny. And so now we have, we initially, had, we were thinking about hiring someone and someone was like, hey, I just want to hang out and do it for free. So we have this guy who's been running D&D campaigns for years. His name's Nusser, super nice guy. And we're doing Curse of Strahd, for those of you who are familiar. And I'm very excited because the guys struggle with RP, so they're learning to RP because there were a bunch of murder hobos before that. And we were murder hoboing everything. I was like, you have an option. You can do this or you can do that. And they were like, can we just kill them? I was like, I guess, yeah, it's D&D. You can do whatever you want, right? So this has more consequences and there's some, you can very, you can die. The DM has been very clear that we can die at any moment. So I'm playing a dark elf ranger, which a lot of you might roll your eyes, but I'm a big fan of the Driz Duerden series. And I know that there's a lot of hate for him online because everyone wants to play a dark elf ranger that wields two swords. That is me. Art, is that Artemis and Truri? No way, George. That's sick. Artemis and Truri, for those of you who don't know, is a big rival of Driz Duerden. And I'm actually rereading the books. There's like 20 of them, and I just restarted book one very recently. So that's been a lot of my time. I actually got this really cool dagger that you can pull out, and it's actually your dice holder. And then some guys bought one. Before. They're really nice. They're fun. And then one guy got a crossbow that it can actually shoot. So he like loads his D20 and shoots it into like a little box, and that's his role. So, dude, I'm telling you, man, like the growth that these guys have shared is incredible because they were, like I said, Call of Duty at most, and now they're getting into it. They're like reading the lore like discussing drow politics with me. And I'm like, yeah, this is sick. You know, welcome to the dark side. Took a little bit of time there. My apologies, but just really excited to share that. Zach, outside of Skaven, what is your favorite race slash species in Warhammer? Oh, I mean, I love Skaven, but I think for me, it's the undead. Like, I, I'm going to just lump all undead together because, I mean, there's, you know, there's Asiarch and there's Nighthawn, but like the the vampiric undead, what, what might have been vampire counts in fantasy just like I love the aesthetics of like you've got these high gothic vampires and then they've got these shambling hordes and there's like these constructs or risen knights that are like somewhere between I love like death knight uh, aesthetics in World of Warcraft if anyone played World of Warcraft that that's my vibe it's just like it's like a tinge of horror it's like a tinge of gothicness but also just like really badass so that's that that does it for me that's why I end up playing a lot of those teams too George and Mark, what is your favorite species outside of Skaven? Because you both are also Skaven enthusiasts. I mean, it's it's Cruel Boys. Orcs in oh, general, right. but, but Cruel Boys in particular. We knew that. Yeah, and uh, Bone Reapers, not surprisingly for me. Wow. And Mom, what about you, man? Favorite race or species? Dark Elves. Easy. Yeah, that's fair. I love Drow. I love Dark Elves. I don't mind Dark Eldar. I actually prefer Corsairs in 40k. I like like more neutral elves. Hmm. not people who are just super good and super bad i like the ambiguity that they can share and i think that's because i like playing these solo rpgs as mark mentioned or these DD campaigns as someone who has the opportunity to do both good things and bad things because i think it's just the most natural way to operate like i don't understand that you can only be lawful good right yeah you, you know if you ever want to try out kill team the corsair void scarred are both amazing models and pretty good on the tabletop i yeah. always teach you a game i would i mean i've played a little bit but I just, I love the aesthetic. Yeah, absolutely. Weird, like, my, my favorite team's aesthetic, my favorite faction aesthetically is, like, I love Lizardmen, I love Undead, and I love Skaven. 
but I would never play them in like fantasy battle or age of Sigmar scale. Cause I like, I cannot paint 80, 80 little linemen or whatever. I just can't do it. So I, I can't actually, even paint four members of a warband. So. I know I, I collected Stormcast cause I'm like, w- what is literally the most elite thing I could play with the least amount of models I could do. And then I started playing skirmish games and I'm like, Oh, I could paint six lizard men. That's perfectly fine. I'm just not painting 80 skinks and 40, you know, source warriors or whatever. So actually underworlds has helped me realize my joy of the various factions and stuff. So that, that's been really fun, actually. That's another species I really am into, Lizardmen. Oh, More yeah. so like the Saurus Warriors and the Croxigors, but I think it would really be fun to ride a giant T-Rex in a battle. Oh, yeah. And their Blood Bowl team is also just like fantastic miniatures. Yeah. Okay. George, you were going to say something. Oh, I, w- I was just going to ask what you like if it wasn't Dark Elves, and we just covered that, so... I was seeing into the future and just trying to get there a little faster. That's all. There is Zinch at work. All right. Aman, congrats on winning world champions. Thank you. How does it feel? Feels great. Thanks for asking. Been following your podcast since the first episode. Oh, that's sweet. And it feels like you finally set out to do what you wanted to do. What's next? This is actually a very interesting conversation because I have brought this up, I think, to some of you guys, if not all of you on the pod, my co-hosts. And not sure if I said this on the episode where we talked about the championships, but for me, there was a big part of me that was actually thinking about retiring from Warhammer Underworlds if I had won. But I think, you know, we and retire from a competitive standpoint because I've been doing this for so long. It's been occupying my thoughts for so long. You know, we set out to be the best content creators we could be in terms of blog content. Obviously, I've stopped writing, but at the time, you know, like none of the other guys I started with are still writing. And then with the content from the podcast perspective, like at one point, I think we had reached our goals and we were the most listened to. And, you know, we had this huge Patreon that was some of our goals. So it was like the only other thing that was eluding at the time was that dominance and competitive play. And again, I think it's very difficult to be like the de facto. And Jonathan used to say this a lot in the podcast because I would tell him, like, I want to be the Michael Jordan of Underworlds. And he's like, I don't think anyone can ever be the Michael Jordan of Underworlds, right? Like, he's like, unless there's some world tournament. And you go win that six times, like there's no way. And so I think he always kind of reined me in and made me think more clearly about what goals were achievable, but were also like lofty enough to shoot for. I miss him dearly, but he's not dead or anything. We just need to clarify that when you say you miss him dearly, he hasn't expired. That's true. That I'm assuming the person who asked this is very familiar with the cast since they said they've been listening from the jump. But yes, for those of you who are not familiar, Jonathan is alive and well. He just bought a house. I still keep in contact with him. But it's just mostly just checking in rather than, you know, this is someone I talk to almost every day for like two and a half, three years, right? So I do miss him. But to continue to answer the question, being able to say that I'm the best player for Warhammer Underworlds globally, even just for a year, I think is something that is really amazing to be able to just feel. But there's always that like, well, what if the event is bigger? You know, would I have still won? What if there was like one more person there? What if there was one more counter? So I do tend to get caught up in like the what ifs. So I try, I've been trying really hard not to, but yeah, the plan initially was if I win, I'm out, I'm done. But you know, when you achieve a goal, there's a part of you that's like, all right, but I can go higher. I can go, you know, higher, faster, further, you know? And so, and I talked to Andy Talbot about this actually, and he's part of the Warhammer team. And he said, I'm on, you have to run it back. He's like, you have to defend the belt at least once. And he's like, and if you win again, you know, that would be great. And I was like, yeah, you know, that what if, and so it's, it's a little that allure is very strong and scary sometimes because I'd had definite plans going into the world event, but 
I don't know, maybe I'm being greedy and I want more and I'll try to fight for it. I, I don't have the hubris to say that I would win again. I think a lot of things lined up in my favor, but I think it would be amazing to to try again at least. And so I definitely want to, maybe I'll go one more time, but I think from the competitive point, I think I'm also at a point where there are a lot of games that are tickling my fancy, for lack of a better term, and I want to explore that, and I want to prove that I'm a good gamer outside of just a Warhammer Underworlds gamer, but I also want to improve our content. And so if I can take less time and money traveling and competing in events or practicing and instead try to build better content, maybe we can we can be the Michael Jordan of content creation. That could be something, right? Uh, I think we'd all love to see you achieve it. If not one of us, I mean, I'd, I'd like to beat you to get there, but to be fair. But, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with like not competing at the super highest level of competition, but still loving the game and making content for it. So I think that's I think that's also an amazing goal. Like for me, Path to Glory was the place to go for content before I joined the show. And now I get to be part of it. And that's all thanks to you and all thanks to the uh, the legacy you've built. So I think we're all really appreciative of that, Amon. That's really sweet of you. Thank you, Zach. Next question. If the four of you were a warband, which traits and characteristics would each of you have? This is great. What is our warband name? I mean, Amon's the leader, right? So it's got to be like Amon's... Amon's Glory Seekers? Amon's Assembly. Yeah, Amon's Glory Seekers. I like, I like Amon's Glory Seekers. Yeah, I, I, would, I did presume that I would be the leader. Fair, I appreciate that you guys voted me there. I think I would be a wizard, and I would also be the leader. I think I'd be a spellcasting leader. That doesn't mean that you guys couldn't have the wizard trait. That's just the trait. And then I would be, if I had to pick between like hunter priest and all that, actually, I will say that we all have to assign each other traits, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be the leader wizard, but you know, flying or wizard, you guys can pick and then we can assign one another to make it more fun. What, what, what level wizard would you be in, man? Are you level two or you'd be the first level three in Underworlds? No, level three, I think is actually a trap because you might miscast a bit too much. <laughs> I would fair. prefer to be a level one wizard just for balance purposes. Inspire can't to have, level two. Can't have it all. Inspire to having a reroll on my casting spells, but not level mm-hmm. two. So I could be one dice, reroll one. There could be an upgrade that gives me a second wizard level in the deck, or any one of you if you choose to be a wizard yourself. But the leader is generally like a beefy fighter, not always. So the goal would be that I'm four wounds, two smash, two damage, with maybe like a range three, one channel or one focus damage spell right where i can just reroll my wizard level but now they're actually printing wizard attack dice so i'd like to be two focus and then reroll one dice that'd be fun well i think if if i had to assign you a keyword i'm gonna go i'm gonna say amon has the quarry keyword because literally every single event somebody's hunting amon i talked to somebody going to an event and they're like man i just i built my deck to beat amon i really want to beat him at the event so you're just always being hunted man i don't know what to tell you I'm fine with being the quarry. Come at me at your own peril, baby. <laughs> I like that though. That's a, that's a good one. I wasn't. I don't think anyone's been printed with a no. Uh, Slake slash is a quarry. And Slake so slash is, uh, is quarry as well. Bottle. I'm down to be a sexy cow. All right, George. What traits are you picking for yourself before we use oh, for, my, for myself? Um, geez, this is hard. Obviously, I, I need to be five move. Just it's a must. Got to be five move with a range two attack or a bird that I can throw at people. So you could be flying. Flying is a characteristic. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll give myself flying and move five. And you guys assign stuff for me. Mm. Mark, what would you give George as a trait? George has to be an assassin. Just because he's going to find... I was going to say you were the assassin. 
No, I was going to put George as the assassin because he's going to find that like one weakness, right? And he's going to exploit it. This is the guy who's behind behind the meta, right? He sees the meta and he's like, this is the thing that's going to destroy everybody. And I think that would fit George quite well. I like that. I liken George to the man in the chair. And so, yes, I like a fast moving, just drop behind them and stab him in the neck. You know, very nice assassin. I like that. Zach, are you a wizard? Are you flying? I think I'd go priest. I would be like the first actually playable priest in the game. Sorry to uh, to Morgwith and Grizel. And Drom. Oh yeah, Drom. Drom, definitely. But I, I'd want more than like a stat or a keyword. I'd want an ability on my card. I love I love non-attack or non-movement abilities. I'd have some sort of dance or some sort of multi-push or some sort of res. I don't know what it would be for everybody here. Maybe I'd maybe I'd be able to push all other Path to Glory fighters one hex. Ooh. So you're like the force multiplier, the augmenter. Yeah, that's my favorite. You play a cleric in D&D, don't you? Occasionally. I, yeah. I, I was an artificer in my last campaign. Oh, cool. Dude, that would be sick. You could be our healer. There you go. Nice. Heal one or push each other path to glory fight. Fighters. As an action? As that's an wild. action. Heal one all friendly fighters? Yes. Which I'm surprised there's not like a heal action in the, the heal game. Heal action honestly. would be cool. It would have to be balanced, but. Yeah. Action. Heal one wound off a friendly fighter adjacent to you something like that sure yeah that way there's counterplay and there's positioning but that's cool well you gave yourself priest george would you give him anything in addition to priest i think when he inspires he no no he'll have a thing that the first time he's taken out he reses himself oh yeah. i like that maybe he comes, he comes back, back as a zombie maybe we have like a zombie you know version of him but he'll come back well you know like in D orcs have this thing where half orcs where if you reduce their health to zero they come back at one health so maybe the first time you're taken out of action you're actually instead just made vulnerable Ah, i like that that's good nice we should design a warband guys all right mark what are you i think you're a wizard so i actually don't like wizards and i think of myself as like a very simple person so i think i'd have like a very normal like three move one shield three or four wounds whatever type of stat block very basic attack action but I have to have an animal companion of some kind. Cool. Some other piece that on my turn does something else. I obviously am a big cat lover, so it'd be cool if it were a cat. But I think if I have something that I can do funky stuff with, despite my own kind of middling prowess in my own model, I think that would be fun. <laughs> I love that. You can have like a, like a panther or a jaguar or a tiger. I had yeah, the idea of panther. It would match my cat's aesthetic very nicely. He nice. gets like that. <laughs> so your companion, what's your, what is your companion's name? It's, it's gotta be Coco now. Just after, after the cat. <laughs> I like that. Coco, the Jaguar the is our, Coco. <laughs> the dreaded Coco short for like Colossus or something. I don't know, but I like that, man. This is a good war band. I think this would be quite interesting. If you're listening, I, I have a mechanic for him. It's whenever he makes an action, the companion can react and make one action of the same kind. I like that a lot. Yeah. Someone's been playing Shatterpoint. I think if if we go top four in worlds, one, two, three, four, GW should be obliged to print us a war band. I would love if they did like a you know, like a lot of card games will like owe to their champions, like just like a indirect hint. Yeah. You know? Some of them are very direct, like in Hearthstone, this guy named Hunter Ace won. And so then there was a legendary printed called Ace Hunter Cree. 
Yeah, and, and you know. Fi- Firebat has one as well. Uh, yeah, Fiery Bat. Bat. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Well, that would be awesome if you're listening, John Bracken. Thank you. That'd be amazing. <laughs> How's Jonathan doing? Miss the Wigglefish. Well, miss him too. He's doing well. Just said he got a house. He's enjoying married life. He's doing really well in his career. So drop him a message. Let him know you miss him. But he's also doing great. Jonathan is very smart and he's succeeding in whatever he puts his mind to. Really happy for him and his wife. Mark, you have said that the Northeast is the strongest meta in the U.S. Why and how does one build a community to compete with them? So I have to give a shout because I am not the one who built the Northeast meta by any stretch. I have to give a shout out to Lathanum. He's been on the podcast before. Don't know if he wants me to share his real name, so we'll just refer to him as Lathanum. But he does so much work behind the scenes, making sure to organize events. And I think it's important to, if there's not that person in your local meta, uh, or maybe you don't have a local meta at all, take that upon yourself. If you really want to see that in your meta, go to your local game store, say, hey, you guys sell this game. Nobody seems to play it around here or whatever the case is. And let me be the guy that's going to make that happen. Uh, And I think eventually people will just kind of start showing up. Like I mentioned uh, on other podcast episodes, only started playing in early Direcasm. So as it turned out, there was already a little meta established here. And I just happened to find on Underworld's Deckers a list for an event that was being held not too far away from me. So I think both setting the stuff up yourself or even just go online and look, maybe there's something already there. And I think we have to shout out Fish Mode here again as well, because he's done a great job compiling local meta resources. I think most of it's probably US focused because he's US focused, but just go out, see if there's something there. And if there's not, build it yourself. And I think people will come, especially since we've seen a little bit of a push here with the rivals and nemesis kind of resurgence. I think you can create something kind of for yourself and then eventually get to that level where you feel like I can take on anybody in the world and I'm going to go prove it at Nova. I'm going to prove it at Worlds. I'm going to prove it wherever. So I think this is an exciting time to get in as well uh, with the growth of the game. I just want to echo that. Lathanem does a tremendous amount of work for our community and for anyone trying to emulate that, everything that Mark said, but especially like be a resource to new players, be willing to teach. I I can't tell you how many times I, you know, this, this guy is talking and he, he like gives spare game boards and stuff to new players to help get them set up and willing to play he's like run demo games on the side while we're having a tournament that he's also organized and it's a big big respect to him because he does organize all these tournaments and then you know he doesn't get to play in most of them because he's the to and we already have an even number of players and that's a sacrifice that you know i think we all appreciate and just just bring that energy guide new players into the game the getting competitive will come with reps with people who are interested in becoming competitive like just not not to pat myself on the back, but to give a shout out to a, a guy who joined my smaller, you know, let's say sub North Beast community in Brooklyn, Jordan, who took fourth place at Nova. He came from, oh, I've, I've played it once or twice. I want to pick it up. And he came to every single game night I ran at a local store in downtown Brooklyn. And now he's, you know, a tremendously good player. When he has time to come out to the North Beast events in Connecticut, he usually does well. And, you know, he, he went from, getting stomped to like he takes games off mark from time to time he takes games off me and i think that's you know again not to pat ourselves on the back here but but we're we're good players and he reached that level pretty quickly you should definitely pat yourself on the back it's important to be able to like improve and take the time to your community members to get them to the skill that you're at especially when you're an advanced skill so the fact that he got podiumed or 
close to at Nova and is regularly taking games from you guys is amazing. Speaks to both of your contributions to your local. But yeah, Lathanum, like if you, that's the biggest thing is you need one guy or girl, you need one person to make it their priority. Who's going to show up? Who's going to be consistent? I know this is tried and true, sometimes even stereotypical frame of mind here, but if you build it, they will come. And that's so true. You just got to do it. That actually leads into our next question, which is any words for aspiring content creators out there? Just do it. That is half the battle is getting that web address or getting a group together, talking about it. But you have to, you can do all this planning, but you have to just post something. Even if it's not your best, post it, get feedback. People are actually a lot kinder than you think, especially in the Underworlds community. You'll regularly see newer content getting a lot more thumbs up or emotes on discords and things because people are just showing their support, right? So I think you really should just do it. That is my biggest advice to you. And if you can, get in early. That is my only thing. Hard to do with Underworlds, but you know, with Shatterpoint, Jesse and I, my co-host, made it a point to be like the first podcast out there because that also helps. But that does not to say that if you're not the first, you can't be the best, right? So just do it. Mark, as someone who's started their own content as well, do you have any comments there? Perfect summary. Like you find that thing and it doesn't need to be, oh, I'm going to do a product review because that's what everybody wants to read. Everybody wants to read what you're excited about uh, or listen to what you're excited about. So find that thing. It doesn't even necessarily have to be something that hasn't been done before, just something you feel like you can take ownership of and do something in a new way. People will want to listen to that, will want to read it. Uh, And like Amon said, you'll get great amounts of support from this community. Yeah, I think to add on to that, like the best content is not the content you think people want to read. It is the content that you yourself would consume and you yourself want to make. Because when you're passionate, you're going to make more content and you're going to be proud of it and you're going to make better content because you're going to want to improve it. So I think that, and then people will recognize that. So even if it's not, you know, oh, everyone's, like you said, content review or like, oh, everyone's doing tournament reviews or something like that. If you're not doing that, that's fine. As long as it's something that you yourself would want to consume. A thousand percent. Will you cover other systems on the show moving forward? You used to cover Kill Team and had an episode about Warcry. That is true. GW had reached out to us and asked if we were interested in covering some other product. We said yes. We did a couple episodes on Kill Team. I think we did one episode. Zach and I, we did one on Warcry as well. And it's something that we chose to move away from at the time, if only because it wasn't necessarily something that I was super passionate about. And I think it was showing and I always wanted to focus on creating the best level of content we could. However, Zach has expressed that he's very interested in covering Warcry and Kill Team. I'd love to do like a Shatterpoint episode with this group just to talk about why we like it. If you're coming from a Warhammer Underworlds background, why we should move towards it. And then, of course, there are other games that we're excited about. I'm excited about Warhammer Fantasy. It sounds like there's some Blood Bowl action going on here as well. So I do want to expand the podcast and to cover things that, as we just talked about, I'm passionate about. And if Zach and George are passionate about Blood Bowl, I'm very happy for Blood Bowl to come up. You know, maybe not super consistently, but like once a quarter, we have a Blood Bowl episode. Let's talk about it. I think it just helps showcase the fact that we are first and foremost gamers, gamers who like to play as many games as we can that we find interesting. And then from there, we move on to, you know, like if every month we do one episode on another game and three episodes on Underworlds, that's awesome. That's the kind of content we want to do. And I wouldn't be, and don't be surprised, actually, if we start moving in that direction. But 
Zach, I know that you're a purveyor of many games. Any other comments there? Would also like to hear what games maybe George and Mark would be interested in covering outside of some of the ones we've mentioned. Yeah, I'd really like to cover some games. Like we've been doing Kill Teams relatively popular in my area. I'd love to talk more about it. It is kind of like my next tournament game after Underworlds. So I'd I'd be more than happy to talk about new stuff, talk about the metagame, just talk about general tips and tricks or, you know, things that are going on in, in the sphere and blood bowl, like blood bowl is just kind of fun to talk about, man, like match reports, battle reports. I've done a couple blood bowl battle reports on my own personal YouTube channel before, and it's just a cool game. So I, I, I think there's a lot of overlap with skirmish gamers, especially Warcraft, because Hey, every underworld's team, except the ones from death Gorge so far have under or have Warcry rules. So if you're ever interested in getting into Underworlds, maybe I'll do an episode on like which teams do really well in both systems and maybe what you pick up from there. If you've got this team, maybe buy a box of these or something like that. So that could be a fun thing to do. Yeah, that, that sounds cool. I would like to learn that because I've, I've, you know, dabbled with the idea of trying Warcry, but was just like, oh, I don't know what I'd need to get, you know, and I'm focusing on Underworlds. Uh, I don't really have other games than what we mentioned, but I am very excited to get deeper into Shatterpoint. And from a competitive lens, similarly, I'm just locked into Underworlds and Shatterpoint mostly. And even Shatterpoint, I'm not looking to go like super high competitive with. I just am a big Star Wars fan and the game, I think, has a really nice rule set. But Aman, you talked at length about your D&D experiences earlier. I think it would be cool if we could bring some more kind of like narrative content every once in a while. I'm trying to get into D&D myself for the first time, play with my friends from college starting out kind of similarly it sounds like to what your experience was and i think it would be fun to obviously not predominantly the content was narrative since we are a very competitively focused group here i think uh, but it would be fun if every once in a while we hit like a, a narrative episode of path to glory i think that would be a lot of fun actually and i actually just got my hands on all the underworld's books so maybe we can do like a book club read them and talk about them on an episode that would be cool I, I have been meaning to do the Underworld's books. I, I don't read a whole lot of Black Library here or there. I'll pick up an audiobook, but I do want to get through some of these. I've I've read all of them. They're great. I really love the Dire Chasm anthology, the Harrowdeep anthology, and um, the first one was just really Mirrored the, City? The, the, the Shadespire novel. Yeah. But, okay. Uh, well, maybe we'll all read Mirrored City over the month, and then maybe in February we can talk about it. That would be cool. really cool. Okay. Some of these questions are great. If you were transported to the world of Warhammer Underworlds, which season setting would you first want to fight in, and which warband would you be a part of? Let's start with Mark. So does the season setting have to match when the warband was released? Let's say no. I think I would want to be part of Thundrix Profiteers for my warband. I think they would be a fun group to be a part of, just because like the whole steampunk type of guns aesthetic in a world of fantasy is really interesting. I think if you were to drop us in somewhere, the logical place is still probably around Nightfall era, just because that lore-wise ends up fitting the best. Uh, and I missed that era personally as a gamer. Like I, like I said, I came in at Direcasm, so I missed all the lore and backstory and stuff of the early Shadespire Nightfall days. So I think you drop me in with them, and, and I'd have a lot of fun learning about the uh, about that time. What about you, Zach? That's a great answer, Mark. I'd want to drop into Death Gorge because. I talked about it when we talked about the box. I love ice aesthetics. I love winter aesthetics. So like these icy chasms and these these frozen tundras, that's that's totally my vibe. I'll go for a team that I actually don't play on the tabletop that much. I'd want to hang out with Storm of Celestis. I think, you know, these 
you know, they're Stormcast, so they're cool. They're a little intense, but they're cool. You get to hang out with Sleek. They have the goodest boy. You know, you just get to like wander across the countryside hunting stuff and enjoying the, the nice scenic icy views. I dig it. You guys are going for ranged warbands. You guys do not want to get up close with anyone, huh? Oh, I'm, I'm about to change Braille, that. Braille. Um, so for me, and because we can mismatch where they appeared and, and where they are, it would definitely be, I'd like to hang out with the Crimson Court. I think that would be a lot of fun. I mean, it'd be cool to be a vampire, obviously. But, you know, they, they seem like they'd be pretty interesting people. They Maybe they bicker a bit, but they have personalities. You know, and like from the little lower text on the cards, you've got like, oh, he's at it again with Anias just like ripping something to shreds. But they're, you know, supposed to be noble and courtly. That sounds like an interesting dichotomy. And I would want to be in Shadespire because I think it's the only setting we've had so far where the lore really does allow for it to not just be all fighting all the time, always. You know, like there's markets and there's an economy and there's stuff there and it's all messed up and terrible. And I'm spoiling a little bit of the book, but not really. You'll see. But it, it's a cursed city. Be a vampire in a cursed city. I mean, where have we heard that before? But I think it would be fun. Are you going to be like a vampire's familiar or that you're going to have them turn? Oh, you I, you're you like the, the fifth crowd. vampire. I, I definitely want to be the fifth Guillermo. vampire. Oh. I don't want to be Guillermo. <laughs> this is tough, guys. Come I on, think I'll give hers. I think I'd be a Stormcast. I'll tell you why. You can come back to life. Like death is not permanent. So you won't just, it's kind of cheating the system a little bit. I think I'd go with, man, I think I would probably go and hang out with either the Curse Breakers or the Storm Coven just because I love magic and I am limiting myself to Stormcast. In terms of the setting, it's tough not to go with the first two seasons, I must say, just because there is a lot to do there. But at the sake of being different, I don't think I would mind the Beast Grave. Like you're fighting in these forests and these plains and the mountainside. Obviously, when you get to the dire chasm, you're deep in the mountain, and I don't like being like enclosed areas. So, like the fact that I would be out in the open, fighting on cliffs or fighting here and there would be fun. I think Wild Hunt is also a very close second, just because you have a pet lion. What's not to like? I can live out all my Drizzduard and fantasies, except with a lion instead of a panther. Great question. Great question. What is your favorite thing about creating content, and your least favorite thing? So for me, favorite thing is knowing that we're helping people. And when you get that feedback, it is immense. It is what drives you. It is what motivates you. It keeps you going. The least favorite thing for me is I think people start to assume they know you when they clearly don't. And it's this weird thing that happens with podcasting in particular, where you think you know who someone is based on how you listen to them, but that's just a version of themselves. That is the podcasting version of themselves. This is the gamer version of myself. And so when people make assumptions about me or assume they know who I am, or what drives me, I think that I think I struggle with sometimes. It's not necessarily a bad thing because I understand that you have to create an image of someone in your head, especially if you've never met them and I'm just a voice that's coming through one of your speakers. But I think sometimes assuming my intent or assuming that you know me frustrates me just because I don't like being judged um, one way or the other. I'd like to be able to prove who I am on my own merits. Yeah. On the internet, we call that a parasocial relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I guess for me, my favorite thing is just being able to talk about underworlds. Like, I'm the sort of person that just likes to ramble and ramble and ramble. And I could talk about underworlds all day, you know, tactics and metagame and discussions about lore and whatever. It's just, I just super enjoy it. So having an outlet for it so my wife doesn't think I'm crazy talking to myself all the time, that's been pretty nice. 
least favorite thing i don't know sometimes it's it's just kind of hard to schedule it does eat into other things in life um it, it never really bothers me but you know sometimes i get a little frustrated just be like ah you know i wish wish we could have gotten more episodes in wish we could have lined this up i wish i could have been on the stab lads podcast but i, I had family stuff going on it's just hard to manage it all and i'm not really good at managing my time in the first place so uh it's a minor complaint but uh otherwise i'm pretty happy yeah on my side i I like the discussion after we put out content. We don't just drop an episode or drop an article and then the conversation's done. The community's been great about coming back at us with like, hey, have you considered this? Or like, oh, I really liked your take on this, but how about we do it this way? Do you think there's an angle there? Uh, And I like the kind of community status, for lack of a better term, that's given us as people who, if you're newer to the game or you're trying to break a war band that one of us has already used, where we become kind of, linchpins of people that you can reach out to and talk to about it because i think hopefully i speak for all of us when all of us are happy to talk underworlds when you guys shoot us a message we might not always get back to you right away but if you want to ask us a question like this entire podcast has been about i think we'll all be happy to get back to you so that's my favorite part i think is interacting directly with the community least favorite and this is maybe a little counter to how a lot of our content is structured but i don't like doing product reviews that much i think I like writing them because I like the writing and analysis portions of them, but they do feel more like work than some of our other content is, right? Because it's not necessarily, oh, I'm super passionate about Dagox Stab Lads coming out. But what I am passionate about is that people have some insight from, when we consider ourselves, you know, higher level players in the community. We've had experience playing the game for a while. So I do think we provide a useful take on that stuff, even if we're not super interested in it. But it's a lot easier, like we talked about earlier, to make content about stuff you're passionate about. When when the product reviews come, it's great to see things ahead of time, think how it's going to be good or how it's going to not be good. But it's definitely the more work aspect of the creation cycle. Yeah, for me, I've been a huge fan of this game for a long time. So I just really enjoy having yet another reason to kind of deeply engage my thought engine and and dig deep to, you know, rip into a card, rip into the meta, really not just kind of have my thoughts, but structure them and then organize them. If I'm going to present a viewpoint here or, or even just when we're preparing to discuss an article, I, I am very excited to get into some more content that isn't product reviews, as Mark just said. I think we all are. And the scheduling has just been difficult. But I, I've really enjoyed engaging with the community and kind of just the extra push I have internally for myself when I'm like, oh, I'm going to record an episode about this. I really need to make sure that I'm offering thoughts that aren't just, you know, immediately apparent to everyone. I want to offer substance and, and analysis to people. And uh, I, ironically, I guess the thing I dislike the most is in the same vein. Sometimes, and I know this is an internal thing. I want to be clear. It's not something I have with anyone. I love engaging with community, but I feel like there's this onus that as a content creator, I have a responsibility to have, you know, better takes, accurate takes, insightful takes. And sometimes when I don't have them, I'm like, oh, is something wrong with me? Am I letting people down? Am I, you know, or if someone asks, like, do you have a way to make this warband work? And I'm like, I don't, <laughs> I don't. I, I've tried to make black powder work, for example. Um, and again, it's, it's not that anyone in the community, like, I, I feel so honored and flattered when people are like pinging me or us like, hey, maybe someone from Path to Glory can help. But then when I can't, I feel like inside I'm beating myself up. Like, why can't you help? If that makes sense. I think that makes total sense. And I resonate 
I think everything you all said resonates, I think, with all of us in a way, right? Like, there are pros and cons to content creation, but I think ultimately we just enjoy it, and this is why we do it. Keep in mind that we're not really making money. Like, we do this for free. Like, any money that we do make on Patreon usually just goes back in the bills. So, there was a time where we made a lot of money, but that was during COVID. People spent a lot of money. Next question. And we're going to run through these a little bit quicker now just because we are pushing time and I know that we have things to do. So maybe I'll just ask individual questions if someone really wants to say something they can, but in the interest of time to get through these last questions, because I really want to get through most of these, if not all of them, if possible. Do any of you have past board games that you come from two underworlds? If so, what are they and how are they similar? Mark, I think you're more of a board game person, right? So yeah, I, I enjoy board gaming quite a bit. Uh, like Sellers of Catan was probably my most fundamental one in college years. Uh, and there's a lot of strategy in that game, of course, as well. Optimizing decision making and things like that, I think, translated nicely. But the biggest thing translated for me was video game. Actually, I played Pokemon. I don't know if you can say competitively, but the Pokemon video game and a lot of more competitive types of settings. And that, I think, translated well also in terms of like you're taking a Pokemon and making it do the best thing it can, or you're taking your Warband and making it do the best thing it can. So definitely lots of ways you can get into this game, I think, which is great. Absolutely. And just a final comment on this. I also love card games, and I'm a war gamer, so it's the perfect melding of the two in a way. And I don't have to deck build as much as some of the other card games. What core rules would you change and why? Example, charge out rule, token placement, must do everything on a card to play. George, we will let you answer this one. I mean, I, I would just get rid of the charge rule. The new one? Yeah, it, it, all of it. You know, it favors elite warbands a lot. If, if we have to keep it, I would say the rule would change that if everyone has a charge token, you can activate someone with a charge token, but they can only make actions other than move or attack. Like they can guard, they can stun. They can do an action printed on their card, but they can't hit. And they can't go and stand where they need to be standing. They should have stood there before. Go back to the olden ways. I see. Okay. Zach, any new rules you would add to the game? Hmm. I would add some sort of incentive for objective holding in general. I feel like the core rules, especially Nemesis right now, it's very aggressive focused, especially with the bonus glory for large fighter kills, especially with just like how decks are created in the format. I would add in a a kind of like innate dominant position where whoever is holding most objectives at the end of a round should get one glory. Probably not two, but like one, nothing if you tie. Or if it's like hold the most, at least two. You can't just like squat on one or something like that. But yeah, I would add some sort of incentive for holding objectives to enable that style of play again. Almost like a objective version of primacy, almost like a control element. Like yeah. Capturing the most points. Yeah, something like that. That's kind of cool. I would like to see a season that explores that, actually. Great idea. The MetaWatch video made everyone excited for more focus on balance and general GW attention to our little game. Do you feel like they followed through? I will take this question. I think, first of all, that interview with John Bracken was amazing. It's something that we've been clamoring for and requesting for years. Give us examples. Give us insight into your changes. I understand that that's not something that can be done every drop. But what I would love to see is a video every quarter addressing the state of Warhammer Underworlds and maybe talking about, you know, the reason that we made this change three months ago was this, 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 this. And moving forward, we expect to see X, Y, Z, A, B, C. That amount of transparency was just so refreshing. 
if they had even like a monthly podcast where John just got on for 30 minutes and just talked about what he was thinking, I think it would be one of the most popular things out there. It's incredible. Do I feel like they followed through? Absolutely. I mean, we just got this huge, massive end of year update. There were 18 cards that were either added or removed to the far list for you championship folk. In terms of Nemesis, they definitely took a look at what did well this year, what did well at Worlds, and they addressed them accordingly. So I think there are ways in which the meta team is listening and they're being more open about how they're focusing on things. And so I'm really excited to see what MetaWatch does moving forward. I think this is a great Christmas gift for us and our community. And I'm excited to see how consistently they can do it moving forward. I think that's the biggest thing for me. I'm very happy that you make changes, but they need to be consistent. If you do them four times next year, then I'm very happy. And I think everyone in this game would be because that's what all the other games get. Why can't we get the same? Mark, what has been your favorite mechanic in the game period? Hmm. I think this is maybe a little too loose, but like, does it need to be a specific ability or can I make it a little more? Any mechanic, bro. I think just reactions in general are the most interesting thing about this game. Having to look at, okay, where in the sequence is something happening? Where can I intersect it with this particular reaction? It opens up so much play that you just can't get out of moving a guy somewhere and having him make an attack or playing a card that does a certain thing in the power step. Having the ability to say, okay, I jump in at the, after the deal damage step or I react to this move action with another move action makes the game more interesting to me than a lot of the other tabletop games that I've played. Agreed. I think we all love reactions. What is a mechanic you would want to see in a warband, George? If it has to be something brand new, I would love to see a warband that in the same vein as Crimson Court and Nell Spirit Pack and to an extent Sirenai and Elethane moves in and out of the inspired state. But I would love to see it where the inspired and uninspired states aren't, you know, strictly upgrade downgrade from each other. We saw this a little bit in Nell Spirit, but I really want to see a warband that's like extremely defensive uninspired and then like they break their armor and hit really hard inspired and then they can armor back up again or something that would be i think a uh, really interesting new mechanic that we haven't properly dived into like we have it a little with goral we have it a little bit with kira and lupan maybe but but not to the same extent i think that's very cool moving on and i think maybe this is one where we can spend a little bit more time on because it seems a little bit more fun if you were to design a warband what would it be zach hmm I love Horde Warbands that res. So we just got Sepulchral Guard redone. I would love maybe either a seven fighter Skaven team or maybe a rehash of Grimwatch, either reprinting them or, you know, kind of a, a retake on them with the new armored ghouls that we've seen in Age of Sigmar. You know, we've seen a big refresh in that range. I really like teams where you're really focused on covering the board, board control, bringing back fighters. I love resurrection as an action rather than a reaction like the the resurrection on headsman's curse is very cool but i i really like you know those times where you sit there and you go oh man should i move a fighter should i make a charge or should i just drop a resurrected fighter back onto the board so i would i would try to make a new one of those that feels fresh and different because sepulchral guard and grim watch and exile dead all share some traits so i try to make something that is in the same vein but with kind of a new a new flair to it personally i think this is a fun enough question where everyone can answer so george mark if you want to go and i can end this one out before we go back to singular responses sure so for me i would really like to see like a swamp caller shaman or any type of you know 
Geomancy Warband that's built around not only token manipulation, but like they have their own available feature token that like comes with them. Like, like it's like their plot card is that there's a special token that's theirs that is an available token when you play a game with them and they can place it. And being a Swamp Call a Shaman or similar, their whole thing is like manipulating the battlefield, moving lots of tokens around, flipping block stuff up or down, like especially with Death Gorge. Uh, it's very interesting with the current tokens we have and the current plunder reaction. Something that runs off a lot of like you're standing in the wrong place or you can't stand there anymore. Like I, I bring up a pillar and it knocks you back a hex. Yeah, I think that sounds really cool and maybe would be particularly interesting with Fearsome Fortress as it stands right now if you're doing a lot of that token manipulation stuff. For me, and I've been told, again, I'm not like the lore guy here. I'm very much like game mechanics. So I'll focus on a game mechanics thing, but I've been told this is somewhat zinchy. I would like to see a copycat warband. So one that just kind of does what your opponent is doing. So like, say you have one fighter and his move action, his move characteristic, instead of being four or five, whatever, is an asterisk. And it says you have the move characteristic of the highest move characteristic fighter in the opponent's warband. And then similarly for attack actions, you have the attack profile of whichever fighter in your, the leader in your opponent's warband, something like that, I think would be really cool and would reward somebody who has done a lot of diving into what the meta is and knowing what other warbands are capable of by just using their tools against them, I think would be really fun. That sounds awesome. Is that like on every fighter or just like one guy gets to copy the attack, one guy gets to copy the move? Yeah, I think each one would be a little bit different. So maybe you have like a high move guy that copies the attack profile, which might be a little bit too strong. But uh, something like that where it's going to be dynamic from one fighter to the other still, but also you're co-opting things that your opponent is capable of. I think that's really neat. If I had to build a warband mechanic, I would focus more on, and this could be an attempt to make a little bit more of that turn zero a little bit more interesting for me because Nemesis is a little bit more simplified with deck building, is that maybe have a plot card that says, before the game begins, let's say you have maybe three abilities that your warband can use, or you have three fighters that have these group warband-wide abilities. Maybe one is just plus one move, it can be super simple. Or one could be, if you're in enemy territory, you can reroll one defense die. Something that just makes it to where it's a global effect that everyone in your warband can do. Not too strong, not too powerful. And you have to set the order before the game begins. And each ability, each ability may be tied to one fighter or not. But what's really cool is you've let your opponent know what your intended plans are. So they have all the counterplay in the world. If you tie them to fighters, they can kill those fighters so you don't get benefits or buffs in the later stages of the game. There could even be negatives where it's like if this fighter is dead, then instead of a bonus, you could get maybe uh, a, a, a maybe a, a side grade. You know, like if there are two brothers on a team, for example, and one of them is killed, then instead of like, oh, we're both surviving and we have this brotherly competition and we're trying to defend one another. I'm angry and I'm enraged, so I try to do more damage, right? Like something that I can clearly dictate will happen turn one, turn two, turn three, and then your opponent can react to that, I think would be really fun. Because you can also just make call the incorrect order, which could lose you the game, right? Or if you put yourself in a corner where it's like your opponent has maybe taken away your advantage, how do you come back from that, right? And obviously the warband stats would be baked in to support the potential benefits or lack thereof you would receive. That might be a bit too complicated, but I think that's what I want to see is stuff that's just super unique that doesn't feel like anything else. Next question, this is from David Beardarm Lancaster. I don't want to start a heated debate over preferred format. My question is in the light of successful World Championship Nemesis event, 
Is Nemesis the format competitive players should practice most frequently? I know that for me, championship games now feel like playing Relic games. Sorry, Mark and George. During Beastgrave, interesting and fun, but ultimately not very informative for what I might face on the competitive scene. So without the context added, I think it would be very interesting to have Mark answer this question. The question specifically is, is Nemesis the format competitive players should practice most frequently? Again, being a championship player, the answer is unfortunately yes. So Nemesis is what Worlds was. It is what LVO is going to be. And all the qualifying events, I imagine, are going to be either Rivals or Nemesis events like they were this past year. So if you're looking to get that golden ticket, yeah, I think you need to put the reps into Nemesis and support that as the format that's being played right now. You don't really gain a lot of saying like, oh, I I enjoy championship the most, so I'm not going to play anything else. I'm just going to sit here in my corner playing championship against people who only want to play championship. I love that it's still there. I love championship. And I think it's in a really good spot now that the FAR is out and everything, and we got a lot of support for it. But Nemesis, if you're looking to be the kind of go-to events and go places, there's no argument to be made that you should be practicing anything else, unfortunately, right now. But again, Nemesis is great. It's been bringing people into the game. And since that's, to Aman's point earlier, the competitive format right now, that's the one to hit. Thank you, Mark. Next question, with the developer's more dynamic approach to revisiting warbands, if we compare the last couple of erratas with what we've historically seen, including the starter set, what's one warband you would like to get an errata, and why is it Eyes of the Nine? <laughs> Thanks for all the great content. Console slash Michael, that's their Discord handle. This is similar to another question, is if you could pick two warbands for a new starter set, which older, in air quotes, warbands would you select? So I think that's fair to answer that question. George, we'll combine the two questions. Tell me two warbands you'd like to see in an updated starter set, similar to Sepulchral Guard and Forest Riders. Oh, I, I would love to see Spike Claw, obviously, I think. Get some new cards, get some love, as much as I would hate to say goodbye to Expendable and Black Hunger. And for the other warband, that is, that is tough. I think I'd like to see a re-release of Ilthari. I think they have a lot of good cards still, actually. like They have a lot of potential. But from like we were talking about niches earlier, their niche is kind of fully saturated by more modern warbands with better stats, better cards, better mechanics. So I, I think Spite Claw versus Ilthari would be a really interesting box with them both getting updated. And I, I would love to see Eyes get some love too. It's it's depressing to me because I, I love the models. You know, I, they, they, I don't think they need a lot of love, but like just a little bit. Like let those two little ones have like just two dice spell attacks. And, and maybe make them three wounds. And all of a sudden, I think they would be, you know, solid. Not competitive, but solid. Totally fair, Zach. If you could pick two starter warbands to create a new starter set, similar to Forest Riders and Guard, that George didn't pick already. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to balance it between my personal favorites, because I'm like, oh, well, you should just update Thunder, because I want to see an updated deck for them. But I'm like also trying to think... What would be a good starter deck? Like, what what warbands would be a good introduction to the game for new players? I think I would like to see Steelheart's Champions. They still hold a special place for me because they're the they're the first warband in the game. I actually played them quite competitively for a while uh, in the Shade Spire days, and I think they need something to differentiate them from Condemners, which are kind of just like the better version of them at the moment. So, an update for Steelheart, and I would pit them against. I'd pit them against Godsworn Hunt because, yes, Godsworn Hunt also needs an update, but also I think that would be a cool matchup. And also, I think they could 
do really cool things with an updated rule set. Like, you know, we've seen the oath mechanic kind of come back in God's War Gnarl Spirit Pack. So something kind of similar. But I think those two together would be a really cool starter set. I like that. What about you, Mark? So I would, I think, first and foremost, like to see Spike Claw, as George already said. But to choose a different one, I think it would be interesting to see a redo of Thorns. If only because they've been errated so many times, I would like to just get all that stuff on their cards so people know what they're about. But I think they'd also make for a good kind of starter set attraction or band. People like having that kind of good guy versus bad guy aesthetic and the bad guy being ghosts or zombies or skeletons or whatever is usually very attractive to people. So I think Thorns on one side. And then to kind of steal Zach's initial start, I would like to put Thundrix against them. I'd love to see Thundrix with a complete faction deck. Because I think they are like that close to being meta relevant, but they're just lacking a few faction cards that the newer newer ones have access to. So Thundric versus Thorns, I think, would be a really interesting setup. I agree. And you could paint them as Ghostbusters. That's true. That's true. Now, now I, Mark, we've, ta- we've taken six of the best ones, so you're not really left with much. Yeah, so Thorns was definitely in my choice, but I'm glad Mark hit on that. So I originally was going to say Fiends. Magor's Fiends and Thorns as a starter box. I think that would be really cool. Everyone loves corn. Everyone loves ghosts. One's an elite warband. One's a horror warband. And they both need some changes. And I think I'd love to see what a new age Magor's Fiends deck would look like because they're also just stat blocks. So all we need is just maybe some good cards. And they're definitely in the conversation. I think with the removal of Thorns from the equation, I would think it would be really fun to see Ravagers versus Fiends. That would be sick to me. But again, maybe that's too similar. So if we're really focusing on a Horde Warband, then I'd like to see maybe Zarbag's gets redone against the Fiends. I think that would be a fun box. Ton of minis, ton of plastic, some great boards. And there's some definite ways both Warbands can win. Obviously, Fiends just charging four times and getting some good kills on the Squigs. But I think learning that matchup and understanding the hold objective play, the the resource system that is giving up wounds to score glory as a horde warband, right? That economy that you have to manage, as well as the action economy and the positioning of the more elite warband, I think would be an amazing box. Moving on. So these questions kind of surround around worlds and changes and things like that. So Tuaman, if you had to choose a different warband and deck pairing to take to worlds rather than Storm Coven with Force of Frost, what would you have taken instead and why? Question 1B. If the recent changes to both Stormcast and Force of Frost were in effect before the tournament, would it have influenced your decision? That's a good question. I think to answer the first question, the only other warband I was truly considering, there was a Thriceful Discord conversation, but I don't think it would have panned out given the lack of reps. So, and I was going to pair them with Force of Frost. It would have definitely been either Mad Mob with Daring Delvers or Mad Mob with Force of Frost. And I think both decks work really well with them. If the recent changes were in effect before the tournament, Correct me if I'm wrong, but was Force of Frost errated in any way outside of Avalanche? No, just Avalanche. Just Avalanche? Yeah, I think it's fine. I mean, I probably would have... I still, I still think Storm Coven and Force of Frost is, an, is a very strong combo in Nemesis. It's The only thing that's really been neutered is the way that the Storm Coven now inspire, which does make for more interesting choices and counterplay. But ultimately, like you don't need Abyssos Avalanche to win with that Warband. It's a nice to have, but you can still definitely just hit them very hard very easily and finish them off with pings. But for conversation's sake, if I was not to take Storm Coven, definitely would have been Mad Mob, I think. And then if Force of Frost were 
if like that avalanche thing was so strong or so bad for me, then I think Daring Delvers or Force of Frost, maybe with Head Crackout would have been fine. The only other thing I can think of is maybe Elethane Toxic Terrors, but I just didn't want to deal with the fish, if I'm being honest. It's way too much mental bandwidth for no reason. To everyone, if you could have taken any Warband and deck pairing to Worlds with hindsight about the meta, what would have been and why? So Mark, we'll start with you and then we'll go to Zach and George. I don't think I actually would have changed what I brought. I feel like I had a decent read on the meta and could compete against things like GSP, DROM, etc. Even though I didn't face as many of them necessarily. But I feel like Void Curse was still the right call because Domitan was still one of the, the premier things there as evidenced by your victory. Uh, and FLM came in second and third. So I, like, how could you say that unless you wanted to play one of those two that you would want to bring anything other than Void Kirsch? And then in my case, loving Horde Warband so much, I think Hexbane was the perfect fit. Yeah, I think I would probably have said the same. I, I I probably would have stolen the Hexbane's Void Curse. I mean, there were a lot of FLM. There was a good amount of GSP, which is not like an easy matchup. But like, I think given the field, if it was I knew the field beforehand and I alone had foresight, I think Hexbane's with Void Curse is like has very little losing matchups in in that metagame and considering who was bringing what teams. So I. I think that was a very, very solid choice. But if I had to pick a different team, it would be a different Void Curse, probably like Drom or Headsman. Yeah. I mean, in the case of Worlds, my foresight kind of failed me because I expected substantially more people to adopt Domitan and in reaction to that, Hexbane and Gorechosen. Hindsight or no, I would bring the same thing I intended to bring if I would have qualified at Nova, which would be Headsman with Deadly Depths. I like it. I like it. Okay. Now we're winding into the last three questions. If we don't get to your question, my apologies, but these seem to be the most fun. Thank you again for submitting the questions. Favorite Nemesis deck, very quickly go. I'll start. Force of Frost. Fearsome Fortress, because I like board shenanigans. Void Pierce Thralls. Yeah. I mean, Mark, Mark took it from me, so I'll go with Toxic Terrors, but Void Pierce Thralls. Excellent. Getting into the game and your catalog has been really helpful to familiarize my group with most things. Any listening tips for us? My listening tip would be listen to us on 1.25 speed or greater. I listen to almost everything on 1.25 speed. In fact, I think the podcast sounds better at 1.25 speed outside of the intro music, just because I think Zach and I in particular, and actually George does this too, we like to take pauses in between our words. And so even when we're truncating the silence a tad, it sometimes sounds like we're maybe in deep thought more often than we actually are, but that's just our speaking cadence. So outside of that, listen to the Warband wisdom slash warband faction episodes just to get a better understanding of our thoughts read mark's articles those are extremely helpful as well and that way you're getting at least two to three people's thoughts if not more on everything any other advice you guys have yeah i mean this isn't specifically for listening to us and in fact is promoting other people but i think listen to other people's podcasts yes we are just four guys and we like to think we know a lot about the game but everybody has different takes and i think if you want a good comprehensive look at what you can expect especially in a competitive lens, getting those other input is, is important. So go listen to the What the Hex guys. New Underworlds that's been made with Fish Mode and, and Saxum, I think, are doing a great job. So yeah, go listen to those guys and, and get some other experience than just these four of us. Great answer. Yeah, just to echo that, you know, you want to get better at the game or you just enjoy it, you know, consume more content. Consuming more content, consuming more people's ideas lets you steal their finks and, and get smarter. At least that's what Dagok would say. In all seriousness, if there's content that you're looking for that you're not finding, let us know, because I'm sure at least one of us would like to make it. If there's a warband you want to deep dive on, if there's 
a pairing you want to deep dive on, you know, and it's at all viable, I'm sure we'd love to explore that and at least know what people are interested in. Because sometimes I want to guide posts for like, well, I'm trying to brew something funky and I don't much care what. A thousand percent. My last question to everyone, and this is my question, is what is your Underworld's resolution for 2024? And what is a personal resolution that you have, if you'd like to share about yourself? We'll start with you, Zach. I'll start with personal. I need to start moving more. I'm not necessarily like lifting weights at the gym, but I'm, I've got like a flexibility regimen because I've started to get like carpal tunnel and I'm worried that one day I'm going to fall down and like rip my ACL in half or something like that. So a <laughs> little bit of fitness for me for 2024. Uh, Underworlds in particular, uh, I'm on my goal to get caught up in painting. I've got seven more bands left to to get painting. Well, six until Dagok uh, shows up at my doorstep. But I mean, for I mean, the obvious one for me is just win a qualifier. I've got I'm going to a couple. Definitely want to be at Worlds this year. It's a very simple one. I'm sure it's going to be shared by a lot of people, but it, it's the it's the big one for me. Love that, George. Yeah, I'll start with my Underworlds resolution, which I, I think probably all of us have. And far be it from me to want to stand in the way of someone else's two-time. But I, I want to win Adepticon or Nova. I want to win Adepticon or Nova. I want to go to Worlds. So I'll, I'll just say my goal is to go to Worlds. However I do at Worlds, I'll be happy that I went this year. But I, I want to win Adepticon. I'm throwing that out there. And personal goal, uh, it's, it's fitness-related. So I, I've been getting back into weights a lot over the past couple months, fallen off a little bit more than I should have the past two weeks, but that's what New Year's resolutions are for. My leg press is at 445 pounds. I'd like to get to 600. Nice. I see Dang. you throwing stats out there. Okay. Mark, how about yourself? Uh, so my underworld's goal is sort of like Zach to paint more. I historically have not been much into the hobby side of things. I've come to a lot of our local events with unpainted minis or incompletely painted minis. Uh, even at Nova, my Canaan's weren't quite done. <laughs> they were just battle ready at that point. So I, I would like to get more into the painting side and start improving on that end. I'm not a very good painter, but I would like to get better, starting with probably the Sons of Elmorn. Now that they've gotten a little bit of a little bit of extra juice in them, it'd be nice to get them painted because the models are beautiful. On the personal side, also fitness related. I am not big into the typical like run and lift weights kind of stuff, which is obviously probably the best way to get in shape, but I have trouble doing that kind of stuff just for the sake of getting in shape. So I like to have a purpose, quote unquote, behind what I'm doing in terms of I'm like trying to achieve a goal in that moment. So I like to play basketball and I've fallen by the wayside a little bit since August or so. I haven't gone back very recently. I twisted my ankle and was out for a week and then Nova happened and then Worlds was happening and then the holidays were coming and I made all sorts of excuses for myself. So I'm hoping to get back on the court in uh, 2024, at least two or three times a week and get back to the shape that at least I was in before that all happened. I think those are all great goals. And I think I echo a lot of the goals that you all have shared. I think from a personal perspective, I'll start. My goal is to eliminate toxicity. I think in general, I have a lot of patience for people. And I think sometimes to my own detriment. And so whether it's professionally, through the hobby, or in my personal life, my goal is to just put my wife and I first, foremost. And then if there are people that are not contributing to my life or bringing negative energy, then maybe it's best to distance myself. I don't think it matters how long you've known someone or if they're family or not. I think it's important to 
you know, mental health isn't something that we talk about quite a bit. And I know that a lot of the goals here were physically health, but mental health is super important. In fact, I would argue that sometimes is more important than your physical health. And so focusing on that and improving upon your life and making sure that it's the only thing that's stressing you out is things you want to stress out about, I think is important and obviously uncontrollable in a lot of instances. But my wife and I have really adopted this mentality as of late and it's already paying dividends. So continue to enforce that and set up boundaries in the future. Now, Underworlds related, I've got a couple goals. I'll start with my first and foremost goal is I want to get an episode out every single week for the year of 2024. I know that we're a bi-weekly podcast, but we're changing that for 2024. I want to see what it is that we can do when we're operating at all cylinders. We have four people on this podcast. It's very easy for two people, it doesn't have to be me even, to get together and record an episode a week in advance so that we have you know a couple of days to edit and post. That's putting a lot of onus on me to edit, but I think I'm happy to share that load if someone wants to help me with editing as well through some of the tools and the shared folders that we have. I want all four of us to be at World. Two of us are already guaranteed, given the fact that you know we were managed to top place in the top eight. But my love, my love, I would love honestly if all four members of Path of Glory were in the top eight for Worlds. So I already expect you both to be there. I now the expectation is actually all four of us to be in the top eight. I think that would be a dominating performance. I wouldn't care if we all got knocked out immediately and we got five, six, seven, and eight. doesn't matter. But all four of us need to be at the top eight. And I think we can do that. I think everyone here has the ability and the caliber to do so. And I also would love to be a little bit more on the hobby side as well. I think for me, I am a good painter. I just don't paint. And that's because I'll spend 10 hours on a cloak and then never touch a mini again. So maybe I'll spend 10 hours on the mini, just finish the mini, and then maybe go back and do some things there. So those are my goals. Obviously, Path to Glory's goal is to be the best version of itself that it can be. I can speak for all of us when I say that, whether that's through our content, our actions, or through our performance. So at the end of the day, George, if you want to go win Adepticon, go for it. Still undecided if I'm going to go try to go for that three-peat, but if Path to Glory can win three times, whether it's you or Zach or myself, I think that would be amazing. And yeah, I just want us to be firing on all cylinders. And I finally think we're in a place for all of us to do so. And I'm so happy and so proud and so grateful that we've all come together. And the fact that in 2023, our content maybe wasn't the best that it could have been. And we got more listens than 2022, which was a year where we did great content, I think speaks volumes to the potential that we can achieve as a group, as a group of people who are high performers, high achievers. I think this is certainly something that we can be. So obviously, I expect our competitors out there to hear this as well. And hopefully it inspires you to make the best version of yourself and your best content because a rising tide lifts all ships. So if your content gets better, our content will get better and vice versa, I would hope. So that is a lot of my resolutions for the hobby side of things. But if anyone has anything else to add, would love to hear it. Otherwise, I think we're already an hour and a half over our intended schedule. So perhaps maybe we should close it here. Any final thoughts, George, Mark, Zach? Just happy to have another year Underworlds and another year with, with the crew. Happy New Year, folks. Get out there, get that qualifying ticket. See you at Worlds. Happy New Year. See you at Worlds. All right, everyone. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much to our patrons for supporting us. I'm telling you, it's a big help. It's a big motivator to get some of that content out and you know, know that your financial support helps us in maintaining the quality of our podcast. Thank you to everyone who submitted responses. I was very pleasantly surprised with the amount of questions. We tried to get through most of them, but unfortunately, we couldn't get through all of them. Some of them were redundant as well, but thank you to all of the individuals 
who responded and took the time to be a part of the process. And happy new year, happy holidays. May your dreams come true in 2024, whether they're hobby related or personal related. And until next time, we want to wish you the best of luck on your path to glory.